Hey, Internet. My name is Jonathan Fisk. I'm here to rescue you, or I'm here to tell you you've already been rescued. He is risen. That makes you paid for and immortal now. He will not be long anyway. This is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Hey, Internet. Welcome to the Saturday Morning Chill. So what I got for you right off the bat is this. If you have not been listening to A Brief History of Power with Two White Guys, it's the best podcast that there is right now. And I'm not just saying that because I'm one of the two white guys. I'm saying that because the other white guy, Dr. Adam Kuntz, Reverend Dr. Adam Kuntz, certainly is a beacon of clarity in the midst of this present darkness. And by that I mean just a guy who's read a lot of history and a lot of the Bible, and it's like, huh, listen, it's like this. And when he says it, you're like, yes, that's so true. So recently, the most recent issue, uh, issue episode that came out, or that's going to be coming out, no, it just came out, is... Uh, dealing with Plato a little bit. Now, don't don't turn off right away because we talked about Plato. You don't even know what I mean yet. It could mean many things in English, so slow down. But the idea that a love of wisdom or a desire to understand the world around you is something that may be permanently human, but certainly is platonic. That is, this human named Plato started talking about it in certain ways that you cannot avoid still being in the air around how you think, breathe, spiritualize today. And the most recent episode of A Brief History of Power 2, like, as we go into a little bit of why that is. And one of the main ideas is this. Plato recognized that what should be and what is are not the same thing. And that's kind of how a platonic idea gets going, that there's this other thing that is bigger than what is. Now, the idea of seen and unseen can come into play here, but it's it's worse than that, though. Before you get to seen and unseen, which is definitely a biblical category, platonic thought is not a biblical category. So this idea, okay? Now, let's just slow down and see if it doesn't help you a little bit today. This idea that what you see is not what it should be, just because you believe in the fall and sin, is a lie. It's wrong. What you see is exactly what should be. Everything that's happening is exactly what should be happening. Nobody is not in charge. Jesus Christ is in charge. So the platonic idea that there's a difference between what is and what ought to be, while certainly seemingly real in small packages, and perhaps even at times helpful for thinking categorically, as his debate with Aristotle will lead humans to do, nonetheless, you have to, as a Christian, absolutely reject the premise that there's a difference between what ought to be and what is. The only place where you can apply that as a Christian is to your own spirit, to mankind as fallen. But beyond that, even in how we are acting out that fall right now, you cannot say that we are out of control. You cannot say that chaos is all that really is. Infinity doesn't exist. God does. And that categorical shift, if you can follow the left turn I just made, will help you so much. So much. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. We've attached platonic ideas to Christianity. And there's been debate about this for a long time. And I'm not saying I'm going to fix it. But it's something that's in and out of Christian culture. Is a reliance on Plato's ideals. Plato's way of thinking. And again, I'm not going to say that I'm rejecting this out of hand. What I'm saying is that when you teach Plato, but you point at him and you say, that's Jesus Christ, 
Well, then whatever you build with that gospel is going to die. <laughs> it's going to crash and burn really hard. And let me just, assess, just, just suggest here that Western civilization, the thing we call Christendom, might be about that. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's why we're all like, what's going on? It's the, the earthquakes, the tremors, like uh, the cultural shifts there. I don't know what's going on. Well, when the idols fall, the idols fall. And when the idol calls itself Christendom and it's actually just the platonic realm attempted as some sort of like weird uh, Western European mission of democratization to the entire world for the sake of humanity without any gods. I mean, except theirs, you know, idols like Christ are going to get torn down is what I'm saying. Uh, idols like Christ, not Christ, idols named Christ. Well, yeah, then idols that try to be like Christ, I guess would apply to idols named Christ are going to be torn down. Not by me. I don't have to do this. I don't have to walk in and cut down the oak just because one saint did it. And it's pretty cool how he did. But he could have also just walked in and prayed and the Lord would have also answered. So it's not like we have to be active missionaries to believe that God will elect the nations through missionary work. It's not like saying that stops people from talking about Jesus. I'm going to suggest it encourages us to do that. And I'm going to suggest the more that we can, well, catch a thought as it's being taught. See that Plato had an impact on us and then also realize, hey, that guy's not my God or my Lord. Well, the better off we're going to be. Nothing will destroy what Jesus Christ has established. That's a fact. That's a fact. You go ahead and disagree if you like. You're an unbeliever. That's fine. We're in different religions. That means I believe one day this world will end and it won't go well for you. I'm sorry. I didn't like choose that. You did, right? So, okay, you I'm not talking to anymore. I'm going to talk to people who believe that Jesus has risen from the dead because the attempt to defend ourselves to the unbelievers for the last hundred plus odd however long years that they've wanted to be using the church for their own hypocritical ways, they want to be in it but not of it, and so we're going to sit here and defend back and forth and argue in the church about things like the Trinity and the resurrection. I mean, it's just, it's been nuts the last hundred years. So stop talking to them. Stop letting the false prophet dissuade you and, and get you into a conversation. That's what the devil wants. He wants you to talk to him. Huh? So, so if, you're, if you don't believe in Jesus, I'm not talking to you, okay? But if you believe in Jesus, you believe Jesus has risen from the dead, <clears throat> nothing may destroy what God has established. Know this. When Jesus Christ, your God, establishes something, it may not be destroyed. You know what's not going to be destroyed then? What cannot be destroyed? And this is where, like, everyone goes crazy and killing the guy who didn't like me on Twitter last week about this. Baptism cannot be destroyed. Even if you're, like, a Baptist, it can't be destroyed. There's nothing you can do about it. Jesus started it. It won't go away. It can't be destroyed. It's baptism into Jesus. The fact that you don't want to believe it means something, well, that's on you, okay? I mean, whatever. But the fact remains. Baptism, because Jesus started it, can't be destroyed. The Lord's Supper. Jesus started it. It can't be destroyed. It will never be destroyed. Oh, we're not sure if our church is going to stay open. Did you have the supper last week? Oh, we don't really think that's very important. I think you're not praying too, right? Oh, well, we have a list of prayers. We, we put it in there every week and the pastor reads it. Right. Yeah. Cool. And at that point in the conversation, right, you're in a political position. Uh, you're, you're, you're knowing that there's something that isn't right that should be better. Do you become the Platonist to must fisk, fix it? Uh, fisk it? Aha. Must fix it. Do you become that at that moment? Are you God? Is it your job to correct? Now, this is the, the interesting place. As a Christian, yeah, sometimes it is, right? Where? Uh, it's not that easy. Ten Commandments is a good place to start, right? Uh, the Creed, another good place to be. The Lord's Prayer, a good place to be. 
But when you're walking in the wilderness, sometimes the thing comes left, right, go. And well, it's afterwards you realize what you did or didn't do. Huh? And so you got to be training yourself to be ready to do the right things. Again, recognizing that the right things are the things that cannot be destroyed because God has established them. So I just said the Ten Commandments after talking about, say, baptism and the supper, two things that are just very obviously, very obviously, like you could be the sacramentarian, like I believe in Jesus, but the Lord's Supper doesn't do anything, okay? Great. Can you see how without baptism and the Lord's Supper, you don't have Christianity? Can you see that? Like, so they have to do something, right? I have a whole book about this called Without Flesh. You can check it out, but they have to do something. Uh, they, they, they are there. They continue on. On top of that, we have these amazing realities in the Bible that not only exist in complex depths that you can dig in for your entire life. I mean, really, start learning Hebrew. You will not stop, okay? Uh, but, but not only do they have that, they also bubble up to these clear and potent realities. So I mentioned the Ten Commandments. I got a book about this too. Echo is uh, half the books about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is a platform for life. It is a framework. You want 12 rules for living? I mean, I started reading Jordan Peterson. It's not bad. I'm enjoying not being a sad lobster or trying not to be, praying that I would not be a sad lobster. So so I, it's, it's great. I get it. He's funny. He's clever. He's an evolutionist. He's a pantheist. He's a Platonist, I think. And that's where this idea is even coming from, is I'm rejecting it as he's saying it. Okay, so, so what do you need? 12 rules for life? Fine. Read it. Great. But only insofar as it lines up with 10 words from Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, 10 written in stone commandments that we have the audacity to think are just do this, don't do that, and cannot even have the goodness to imagine they're what life ought to be. More. They're what life will be, and you can't stop it. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, and the Ten Commandments are going with him into paradise. Huh? Now, father and mother and what that means, I'm not saying that Sabbath will be Saturday and not the eighth day. I'm saying that the substance, the principles, the ten main ideas, the words which he spoke from the holy mountain are eternal. Huh? The Torah does not mean law as in bad, or as in it only kills. It means what creates and sustains, redeems, sanctifies, enlivens. Ah, yeah? And that Torah is Jesus made flesh, is Jesus flesh made bread. Well, he says that, if you don't believe it, that's on you. Is made bread to join with you so you might know with great conviction. That while the entire world has fallen down because Christendom uh, ran into the problem of Aristotle too many times, it would seem, over and over again, will we do it yet once more? Or can we break free of the cycle? The cycle. The philosophical, religious, Gnostic cycle of Greek mystery thought religion in its greatest prophet and priest, Plato. Nah. And all it takes is this, Christians. It takes believing that. Yes, indeed, things do not look like they ought to be, but they, in fact, are as they ought to be. Nobody else can think that today except you, Christian. Nobody. Everybody else has to think things aren't as they should be, and I have to fix it. You may think things are precisely as they should be. Today is precisely as it should be. Let me give you an example. This is a nice one. Recently, I've had to do it in my congregations, uh, in my congregation, in my um, 
in my uh, sermons to the congregation uh, about coffee and all the number of times I spilled coffee. But this morning, there was such a lovely way that this happened. And I'm not saying that everything in life will always work this way. I'm saying that, in fact, sometimes it does. Sometimes it's, you can just see the providence in front of you. So I had to clean something, and I ran out of paper towels down in my little studio study workshop space that I'm in here. And so I had one paper towel left, and I had one roll. Uh, no, not one. I had the roll, right? The, the, the cardboard tube piece. And I had those. I thought, okay, I'm going to take the cardboard two-piece with me upstairs, and I'm going to go. It'll be my reminder when I get up there, because I'll probably run into kids, end up talking to people. You know, kind of, Why did I come up here again? So here it is, and it'll be the thing to remind me to get more paper towels. So I, I go off to do that, and I get up there, and I run into chaos, just like I expected. There is a child or two. There is a grown female, my wife, and then there is also a rabbit that is being held with wet feet, because apparently he has run through his pee. It doesn't happen very often, actually. And But he has, and he has to be washed, and he's not happy. And she says, oh my goodness, Jonathan, can you give me a paper towel? And I look down, and my hand does not have a, a roll. It has a paper towel in it. Which immediately makes me think, oh, Jonathan, you forgot what you were going to bring. You brought the wrong thing. You're such a fool. And then there was another moment where it's like, but wait a minute. That's what my wife needs. I'm the knight in shining armor. Here's your paper towel, honey. Clean the rabbit. I am a triumphant modern man. Oh, it's so sad what we have to take pride in, isn't it? Anyway, anyway. <laughs> so so it all happens, right? And I completely forget about the roll of paper towels. I completely forget about it entirely. I end up eating breakfast and talking with kids. I mean, it's just this entire different reality once I go out of my space. Right? It's not like working in an office. Uh, and so, um, anyway, so, uh, uh, so I come back downstairs, and what do I see sitting right there in front of me? The very thing that should make me angry is the roll that I forgot to take with me. But what is it now? It's the thing to remind me I need to go get paper towels. Oh, it's great! Chaos isn't always chaos, and that's the point. Okay, the point is not that every single moment you're going to have to be like, oh, great, it worked out good, I'm living in God's world. No, 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 no. It's more like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm living in God's world. It must be good. Let me consider how, according to the scriptures. You hear me? Eh? I mean, I mean, that's that's where it's at. I know. I, right turn again, right, right into into the solid. But but it matters. The solid matters. That's why I'm hyping you on the Psalms. That's why I'm hyping you on the Proverbs. It's because it matters. It's not that these things by themselves are sufficient. You should not only read the Psalms and Proverbs. If you do, you will be a Jew. Jews can be very nice people. I have no desire to see them murdered. I believe murder is wrong, right? But I do not intend to be one religiously, even if I've got it bloodline. And who knows what the diaspora, frankly? So I don't, it doesn't matter. The point of Christianity is that your ethnicity doesn't matter. Your heritage does. Your blood does as in my father is my father and my son is my son. And what we believe should matter but insofar as whether or not I'm speaking the truth, what matters is what the scriptures say. And so what the scriptures say in the Psalms and the Proverbs gets fulfilled in the New Testament of Jesus Christ. And with those working together in tandem, it is like like light piercing the darkness. It is like someone of old had a, a foggy mirror by which they were trying to like look at the world and see divine what was really going on. Okay, And then Jesus Christ comes along and it's like kapow! The mirror's clean. It's not just a mirror. It's like, it's like Google Glass, only they work! You know? <laughs> and, and they're not the nonsense mythology of the singularity. Anyway, so like it really it opens up so you can see, but you have to go back and use it. When the author of the Hebrews says, let us move on to the meat. Do you remember that? All ye old evangelicals remember all this. Well, we have to move on to the meat, which means not the good news about Jesus, but the things of sanctification and how you must get better at being better until we're all angry. 
yes, that's what the Lord wants. And I was right, right? I mean, I mean, that's kind of where it goes. Goodness, I just distracted myself with that big, big thing. Ah, hmm, I lost it. But what I know is this, nothing may destroy what God has founded. Nothing may remove what God has established. So when you get together and you say you believe in the Bible and you're falling apart and you hate each other and you're angry and you're fighting and you're politicking, well, then you're not the church at that point. You might be Christians, part of the body of Jesus saved, but your little club is just that. And again, if, if it's got the name Christ on the outside of it, and you're boasting about yourselves on the inside of it, and you're like, well, we're safe because it's been, it's been this way for like 25 years. Like, the Bible works in 40s. Like, I'm not a Rick Warren guy, okay? 40 Days of Purpose was a, was a, was a very clever thing to do. He made use of creative order in a way that sounded very pious and, and it benefited him. But 40s in the Bible rarely about 40 days, except when it's Jesus doing the entire universe in 40 days kind of thing, or suffering for the universe in 40 days. But Lent, um, the 40s are about generations, genre, the movement of peoples, civilizations, life. So, you know, and the boomers want to talk about how, like, they're this really big generation that lasts forever, and then there's all these little small generations that come after them. Whatever that's about is a lie that they're just making up, and I'm kind of done believing in any of it. What I do know is this, that uh, a generation comes, a generation goes. What I know is that um, as people move forward, their ideas take form and come to conclusion and fruition. And so anybody who would say that the United States is a marvelous place because for 40 or even 80 years, we've benefited from the work of several other generations while we've rejected everything they believed and begun killing babies and having sexual orgy with abandoned to think that somehow just because it didn't fall apart in a week – it won't ever fall apart. I call a level of madness uh, equivalent with with madness, actually, uh, with with mental insanity. Um, now, of course, as a Christian, I do believe that an unbeliever has a certain level of mental insanity. I believe I have it of nature. I don't think I'm better. I think I've been illumined. I think I've been inspired. Right? I think I've been been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean this of my own personal immediate nature. I mean this of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His preached word, which is down in the Scriptures for everybody to read if you want. I mean, all you got to do is open the book. There's like a spiritual wall between you and the book, ain't there? Why is that? I mean, I hate to be Jim Gaffigan here, but really? Like, here, I'm tangenting. I probably won't get back to the main point. I'm sorry. But like, there's your Bible, right? Right? And there's you. And like, between you and the Bible is a wall of emotional resistance. I should. I ought to. Maybe better if I did. You know? Why is that? You think that's just accidental? Like, 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 everyone says, everyone in our culture is rejecting Christianity and saying that Christianity is a, a nonsense, but no one wants to read the Bible. That sounds like a holy book to me. It really does. It sounds like it might actually have something in it. That you, you like, can't touch it. Like, right? Like, what's that about? And why would it be resistance? And if you read it, it says, because you're a carnal man born of Adam, so you hate the God of this book, straight up. You're not going to stop either, so get a grip on it and stop letting it tell you what to do. Start learning what to do from what the book says. I know, it's like it's like Voldemort and Harry Potter 1 or whatever, right? But, but no, it's the other way around. Everything like that is a backward shadow stealing from the reality. The reality is if you don't have the word of God being breathed into you, eyeball, earball, any way it can go into you, you don't have life. 
and you will die and perish in fire. If you have the word of God being breathed into you, being put into you by the Holy Spirit himself immediately, that is, you can track it through history and see this gathering, this churching reality go on, well, then you can know, again, my main point, that everything is exactly as it should be. Everything in your life right now is exactly as it should be. And you're like, I don't like it. I want to change. Well, that's your problem. That's breaking the ninth and 10th commandments together, as Lutherans count it, which is quite frustrating. And part of our problem, I think, is we have this psychosis of thinking there are two commandments. Anyway, they're like, it's like double guilt for covetousness, right? Anyway, the, the, it is. Covetousness is wretched. Discontent is wretched. It is a horrible way to live. And it is the way, well, all modern people live because we're basically living in, pre, in, in fear as prey. But more than this, it's not something you have to do as a Christian. You're going to have your flesh want to covet. You don't have to listen to it. How can that be? I always feel like I have to listen to it. That's right, because all you do is watch TV. Okay, so read the Bible again. I, I, I sound like a, like a legalistic stooge on this. Someone's going to be like, Fisk is such a moralist. He's always telling people they have to read the Bible to be saved. <sighs> now, what am I going to do? Yeah, like, like you do. Not that you have to. I, I was pondering this again, but you do. You have to. It's what will happen. This law gospel dynamics really got us Christians in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, like twisted around on ourselves here. It's mostly Camerer, not Luther. And if you don't know what I mean by that, well, then you're not part of the conversation. Trust me. <laughs> it's mostly Camerer and not Luther. It's not law and gospel. It's the problem. It's the liberalism we thought we got rid of in 1973, and we didn't. Just like most of our problems in America are the national socialism we thought we got rid of in the 50s, 40s, and, and we didn't. And it's still here. Ah, oh, goodness gracious. I'll be back. Sip of coffee. Everything is exactly as it should be in your life. And if you can sit there for a moment and just tell yourself that's true. And when you're like, I don't feel like it's true. So I said, well, the Bible says it's true. Well, I don't remember when the Bible says, well, my pastor told some weird guy on YouTube who I think makes sense says it's true. <laughs> I'm going to at least ponder it as if it might be true. And then I will maybe write it down. And consider its truth. Maybe I will strike it out and decline its truth, but then I'll know what I know. And then you'll have epistemology of your own. And if it happens to be staying in platonics, go for it. I'm out, checking out. Plato's wrong. And I'm gonna see, I'm gonna see what happens if I pray about my faith in Jesus Christ, believing that Plato's wrong, and so the argument for Christendom and Western Civ is going to crash, but Christianity is gonna survive. How do we go on? I'm going to pray that the Psalms and the Proverbs would illumine my own understanding to go deeper into the Old Testament to see that I can live without the modern world's assumptions. <laughs> you hear me? Like, if you want to join me on that one, you go ahead. If you want to throw stones, go ahead. I'm your, I'm your Huckleberry, as, as you ought to know. Easter egg and all. Yeah, I haven't watched... I haven't watched TV or movies, generally speaking, with the exception of one movie, Titan AE, I watched with my kids after Christmas. They pointed out to me, going on a year, nine months, something like that. It's really interesting now is as an experiment. I don't want you to have to do this. So that's part of why I'm doing this. I'm not sure even it's possible for most people to do this. But I can tell you this. Like the longer I'm away from any type of stimulation in the eyeballs, the less crisis I feel in my life. 
you do the math yourself. It's just, you know, it's just an anecdote right now for me, right? But I can tell you, this is the longest I spent at a screen in the week. I've started typing again to try to write that I might maybe publish again, but I'm actually writing for me initially. But anyway, so, so I'm spending time, more time there like that, right? But the longest I spend watching something like this is right now. And when I get done, I am hurting from this. It is like, and I get these lights are bigger and all that, but it's just like, Oh, turn it off. And like, I want to watch, we got the Mad Christian Discord Minecraft server, which everyone who loves Minecraft should get on it. Just because I'm not doing it anymore doesn't mean you have to stop. It just means you should think about why is he not doing it anymore? And maybe by the time I'm 40, I don't want to do it anymore either, right? So like, that's more the, where you should be on this. That Minecraft server, um, my kids are like on it. They're showing me stuff. I'm like, that's amazing. And it's like 15 seconds, 25 seconds. And I walk away and I'm like, wait a minute. I was just moving. I thought I was like, and that forward progression thing, if you get far enough away from it that when you go back in, it makes you disoriented, it'll make you rethink. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm rethinking it, right? For me, for me, for me. Um, I, I want to, you know, Frisbee asked a question that kind of makes me think about that me, we thing here. I'm going to bring that up now before we get to all your kinds of questions. Frisbee, uh, the hand is a, a marvelous human being down in, <laughs> human being, she's a woman, down mother, a wife, a wife of a pastor down in Australia. Um, and uh, she does a lot of behind the scenes work for Mad Christianity. I'm very everlastingly grateful for that. Um, some of the best art you see around on this show and whatnot, she's been putting that together. Mad Monday, she's a big part of that. If you haven't signed up for Mad Mondays, I don't even know why you're watching me. <laughs> Like, like the, I'm small, Mad Mondays is big, okay? So, like, that's the future. Get to Mad Mondays. But she does a lot of work there behind Mad Mondays. And um, uh, she uh, summarizes the questions you guys send in. So, they, sh- you know, when I'm going to look at them uh, on the show, I can have, have uh, someone's thought them through. They've spoken out loud. It's very helpful. Being a pastor's wife, she throws theology in, so it really stimulates thought. Uh, so, this morning, she asked a separate question after all of the other stuff that she had put in. And... I, I don't have the question written down, but I have some of the thoughts that stimulated because it was really, really valuable and it ties to what we were just talking about, which is how you define me, not Jonathan, but you, whoever you are, right? But but use the me in your head, right? Uh, however you define me versus how you, however you define we. Right? What's the difference between being myself and being us? And uh, that book... Um, Pendulum that I, I read a couple couple wow, a month and a half ago, two months ago, um, that has some really interesting thought for anybody who wants to think about generational theory that's been dismissed for the last 150 years. That maybe 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 it's not so bad. Um, you know, within that, what, what they suggest is that generational theory swings back and forth between a me we reality, um, a we are one, a we are separate reality, and that we are passing a very strong we event, uh, and that we're now as a result going to begin moving back into a me space, but it's like a 40-year run. Okay, so that's the whole book there, really quick, Pendulum. Um, if that's true, what that means is I am probably a very me-thinking person, and that's why you listen to me is because you happen to be independently a me-thinking person too. It doesn't mean you're against the we. You're not. None of this is like religious, right? This is created order. It's just like in the realm, I tend to walk alone, right? Green Day, anybody? Um, so, Uh, with that being the case then in a we dominated world we feel complete we me's feel completely overwhelmed out of touch because we haven't been able to join up with anybody because we actually don't buy you know necessarily the regime's stories um now does that mean that all christians end up in this way no i i I think this is a social phenomenon as much as it's a christian reality and that god's always working behind those things and i'm not going to try to be the scientist who tells you how it's happening and i think that's silly um what i can say is this the question of who am i 
and who are we right now is super, super imperative. And the answer is you are baptized into Jesus Christ and we are his body. That's the answer you got to have right now. Christianity. If you come up with a different answer, skewing off idols, fallen, skewing off idols, fallen. You are baptized into Jesus Christ and we are his body. From there, the rest of the Bible still becomes desperately important. I am not telling you that that statement by itself is the end-all be-all of all things. I'm saying at this moment it's the word you need to take back into the Bible and read the Bible with. Okay? Read the Bible with. You have been washed into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even if you don't believe it does anything, that's who you are so far as Jesus is concerned. Why would you deny that? He obviously started it. It's obviously been done by you. However much you want to attribute to it, your own ideas, that's great. Start with that as your identity right now. That's what happened in your life. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. I got it. Okay? And then we, those who are baptized, are his body. And call it the church if you want. That word is, hurts my ears these days. It just doesn't make sense in English anymore. They have so polluted that word. In any case, it, it does mean a good thing. The assembling, the counseling, the coming together, the bringing out of darkness into light. And it should be local. It should be seen. It should be touched and heard and felt. It is always. It's just we tend to not like the way it looks. We'd rather have it be the way we want it to be. And so we tend to set up idols and then have it all fall down. And when that happens civilizationally over an eon or two, well, maybe you live right Right now, I don't know. <laughs> she talks. She asks about you know. She used the word revelation twice. Like I've had a revelation. I want to be really clear. I've had no revelations. Um, I've I've had my eyes opened to my own sin. Right. So if you want to call that a revelation, go for it. But my own sin, and by my own sin, I mean the implicit trust I put in the narrative of the Christendom-based United States of America Republic we stand. Okay. Like my trust in that was maybe a bit much given what it actually is, right? But uh, what does that mean for me? I mean, Frisbee's question was, so what does that mean for me in Australian? Yeah, well, I don't know what that means for you. Uh, I think what all of us are having to do is, actually, I do know, you have to decide who am I, not me, Jonathan, but you. Who, who is me <laughs> and who is we? Right, you got you got to figure that out. And if you're if you want to stand as Christianity and like try to aim for a millennium of let's not divide more by arguing about the people who don't believe, and instead say what do we actually all believe and try to put on it. Not that we all get together and break fellowship, you know, break bread with each other without having had these discussions first. But nonetheless, what do you have to believe? Who are you? You're a baptized Christian. That's who you are. Stop being anything else you are until you're a baptized Christian first. And if if you're like the Lutherans, like well, Lutheran just means baptized Christian. Well, then say baptized Christian. <laughs> Why would you use his name? That's the idols that are falling is the names. It's the names. If you want to put your name on something right now and make it last forever, just you go. I'm not gonna. Christianity. Christianity. And yeah, d does the Lutheran confessions give a pure and true confession of what Christianity is? Yep, sure do. Uh, does that mean that therefore everyone has to become a Lutheran to be a Christian or unite the church? Well, not not by going backwards, not by going to Luther, a man who's a wax nose, as anybody who studies him in depth knows. Anybody. So so I, I hate to be the, 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 the water popper, the, the, the wet blanket on this thing. Water popper, I don't know what that means. I'd be the wet blanket on this thing, but, but Luther is a wax nose. You have to know this. We have in his, uh, of his works, of the things he wrote in his life, that we have paper copies of in the world. In English, we have like one third of it. And it's so big that no shelf on any bookshelf I have will hold it. No one shelf. Okay, it's like two or one half ish. And I, I don't even have a full set. There's another two thirds past that. Right? 
What that means is, when someone quotes Luther, they're quoting from a million things that he said. As one of the most bombastic people you can... Imagine me, okay? Don't ever do this to me. Imagine someone writing down everything I said and then treating it like it was nigh-on prophetically inspired. That's what we do to Luther. And we do it particularly by letting them call us by his name, which he said, don't do that. So if you're going to quote Luther anywhere, that's what I want to quote him now. He said, don't call yourselves Lutherans. That's what Luther said. So I'm a Lutheran, so I'm stuck now, aren't I? Yeah, Castro, he has a problem. He's a wax nose. Okay. So does that mean we throw Luther out? No. But what, where is Luther held in esteem most by Christians of that age? Hmm? Uh, in, in his small catechism is where, honestly, and, and in his... Um, Small cult articles were included as well by those who knew him and knew that he would be lied about after his death. So the small cult articles should really be seen as if there's something Luther wanted you to believe, that was it right there. And I'm going to die, so don't let anybody tell you I changed my mind, um, which, by the way, comes along and, and the, the, the sacramentarians begin to say that of him. And it's, it's right there. He's like, they're going to say this later. Right? So, But he is not a dogmatics. He is not something by which we should identify ourselves. Even the way in which he stood should not be seen as a paradigm for the present reality. The difference between us and his age are so different. You want to go be a reformer right now? I mean, get ready to not get paid. <laughs> just, just get ready for it, yeah? And wherever you're going to reform. Is the, is the task right now the reformation of institutions? How'd that go the first time? I love the reformation. 500 years. How'd it go? Well, we seem to push Rome back toward having the Bible open in the laity's hands, and they did, in fact, translate the liturgy finally into the common language of the people, and oops, look what it's done. So, again, I'm talking on, like, 500-year things here, and if this is, like, news, it, good. News disturbs people, so I'm sorry. That, that's, in, that's in the Proverbs, that when the news stops, the trouble ceases. You know, the crisis goes away. I turn the TV off. It's amazing. But, but – if you're going to think systematically about your life, if you're going to think systematically about the history you live in at a confusing time where everyone's like, I don't even know what happened, well, then you have to have a bigger picture than the last 10 years. Uh, and so that's what I've been doing. I can't help it. I'm like, I'm like a nut about understanding. And so I have to understand, where do I stand? Epistemology, where do I stand? I have to do it. Right? So I've been doing it. And the problem is the more I dig into the Bible, the more I dig into history, the more I find that we just are rebellious, recalcitrant people. And so you have Christians who are like, let's be Christians. And they go and then and then their children or the children after them come along and say, or someone else moves in, but often it's from the very midst. They come in and they take advantage of it. They make idols of the past, just like Shinto always teaches you to do. You know, pantheism always teaches you to do. And it begins to fall down. This is the history, not just of the New Testament, but of the old. And our refusal to believe that's the problem right now. You can live in Babylon and, and make hanging gardens. It's just believing Babylon will never fall is your problem. I pray for the good of the country, but to the God who's going to send you back. <laughs> Not who's going to keep you there. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Frisbee's question again, it got to the question of discernment, right? So how do you learn to discern um, in the midst of all the noise? And that's my answer is not one people are going to like. It's turn off the noise. At least for a little while. Take a Sabbath, take a rest. I mean, even Ben Shapiro, who I don't listen to anymore because I'm tired of being angry, he takes Saturday off from being angry, don't he now? Or he tries to. <laughs> yeah, so, so why not? What, what do you really need to know? I can tell you this. I haven't not learned anything, and just spending some time on the Mad Christian Discord gets me all the world news I really need. 
I think, until they're actually rolling tanks down the streets or there are zombies or there is shootings like race wars going on, then I'll probably tune back in more if that's really what's going to happen. Till then, I don't want that to happen. So I'm just going to like forget that's a possibility and live like life's going to be normal where I am. And I'm going to actually fight for it, too. I'm going to try to get back to normal as much as I can with a gentle Christian spirit. Yeah, I got no God but Jesus, so kill me if you want. But So that's my beginning path to discern in the white noise is you got to have less white noise. That's hard. That's hard. The white noise keeps attacking you. I have a phone. My phone will not leave me alone. I have notifications turned off on my phone. My phone doesn't care. My phone finds new ways to notify me. My phone is not a phone. My phone does have messages on it, and I can call people through my phone. But what my phone is is a television that I can talk to, which is really genius and diabolical to be able to put that in my pocket. But it's a television that I can then beam myself into. And I was thinking about this this morning, too. It doesn't matter whether it's The Matrix it doesn't matter whether it's um, – oh, I had two other great examples um, uh, uh, from movies that would give us kind of uh, how to handle your white noise life. Um, it's like going into the Upside Down if you're a Stranger Things uh, fan at all. Um, oh, I lost the other one. But you know, you, you're preparing for a certain level of warfare that is going to leave you exhausted and needs recovery time. This is why video games don't really make you rested even though they're tremendously exhilarating. I, 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 my love of video games, let it – Ever be known if if I never play again and I don't even know I don't know I'm exploring right now, um, but my love of video games let it ever be known is it's exhilaration it is exhilarating it is it is a filling and full experience when the video game works right and those who've done it right know that it's way better than a movie people think oh a movie is a way to tell a story they don't even know what they're talking about they have no clue what they're talking about that's the reason that video games are in fact a bigger industry worldwide wide in terms of uh, monetary uh, uh, generation economy and all those kinds of things is why esports are what they are so i completely understand all of that and i'm not going to ever say any of that's evil just in its own okay what i'm saying is that for me i od'd man i od'd i need to get off it's too much. And I did that as a good, upstanding parent. I did that with kids that still talk to me, right? So it's possible to do this as a good citizen, not unlike it's possible to be a drunk in society and kind of fake it for a lot of people. And if you are, forgive you. I mean, medicine is medicine and alcohol is not good medicine, but they don't sell you a lot of options these days, do you? And also they don't tell you that the real crisis is not what you need to put in, but what you need to take out, which is less blue light. In the eyeballs, less blue light in the eyeballs. And so, people who have, I, I'm on a tangent here. Um, a couple comments recently about listening to this show rather than watching it. And I, I we podcast it for that reason. Okay. So, if you don't want to watch, uh, Brian Yamabe, who'll ask a question here in a little bit, awesome dude out on the coast, West, um, West, that's where I'm from. Um, he uh, he always makes sure that this is up. I think by, by Monday, Tuesday, he's got uh, help from uh, the Arbiter, also a Mad Christian a Discord guy, um, good friend of mine. Uh, so it, this this show is in audio format for your sake. Uh, I would not watch it. I don't have time to sit and watch it. Those of you that are, that's fantastic that you've got this idea right now in life, that you have said we are in a, in a world of media. Our child is in a world of media. We need something that's a Christian father figure in our world of media. And like, oh, here's Fisk. Okay, he'll work. That's good. Dads, you got to like usurp me though. You really do. You got to take over and make sure I'm just some weird I'm, – I'm your Huckleberry, right? I'm Doc, whatever his name is over there. But like who's really the hero of the story, right? Um Tombstone, if you, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I tell you to not watch stuff, right? And I'm like, I quote it all the time. That's the problem. That's my world. Your world is how do you manage where you are? How do you have the images in your life be healthy? How do you have sound words, right? So if right now that means having me be your, your father, brother figure in the living room on Saturday morning for a little bit with the blue light, 
great because nobody quits blue light cold. I haven't. I'm not off. I'm not clean, right? I'm not going to, it's not a morality. It's not a morality. It's, it's the question, how do I discern? How do I discern? And it means less than you have now. Okay, <laughs> less white noise than you have now is how you begin to discern. It doesn't mean you go cold. Stop, stop treating this like this. I mean, we're more than addicts. It's like the oxygen we breathe. You're not going to leave civilization. But, but, but you can carve out a niche in this wild habitat. Ah, ah, scientific language. Ha, ha, ah, I'm, I'm Bill Nye and it's Saturday morning. Uh, so I think I got everything out of here. Um, oh, she, she also did point out, you know, what I said earlier about how civilizations tend to end when they have um, child sacrifice and uh, sexuality highlighted as like gods. And um, yeah, and, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're Assyria, one of the greatest, most wicked countries ever that did fill up their sins and were destroyed. And vanished uh, before that, uh, they had a king who uh, it was the height of its power, if I recall, a series at the absolute height of its power. Uh, its main capital city is so full that it takes days to walk through it. It's crowded. I mean, it's just it's the, it's the heart of the world. New York City had nothing on, on old Assyrian capital. I can tell you the name. I'll tell you what happened. They, they repented of their sin. God was going to smite them from the earth with fire like Sodom and Gomorrah. And one prophet who didn't even want to be there, didn't even want to give the message gives the message and they all repent and God restores them. And they're one of the greatest countries in history. If you're going to just do it by history as a result, thousand year reign, Assyria, uh, you know, so if Assyria can repent, why can't the United States of America? And I, well, it can't, but I can, and I'm a citizen, which makes me one of his many ridiculous Kings. But nonetheless, that gives me the authority by right of the fact that I'm in debt as a bond servant to the land owned by whatever bank currently owns my mortgage, but it all really goes to the government anyway. In that reality, I nonetheless have been told by them, authorized, citizenized, deputized, officiated, so that I am in fact king of my own land, in theory, and as a Christian, I'll buy it wholeheartedly, realize I'm also a priest, and pray for a far better future than what these morons are doing to us right now. And it doesn't mean I have to be the moron at top either. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> I don't think it's even possible, right? But the Lord does marvelous things. Uh, and so uh, why not? Why not believe in prayer? What is the most important thing you could be doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably um, praying. Uh, but you can also be asking me questions, which we're going to be getting to in just a moment here. I had one more thought on my sheet before we go to that. Mm-hmm. It's not about one's Christianity, but about one's habitat. Mm. Okay, so this is kind of dovetailing, kind of a different direction, but important. And so what I'm talking about this morning it's not necessarily about your orthodoxy in, say, New Testament doctrines. Uh, I'm talking about your orthodoxy in what we would call created things, right? That uh, there are things that God made that he didn't have to say in the Bible because they're obvious. And everyone in the ancient world knew these things, and we've managed to forget them. We've managed to have them told away from us in mythologies. And so recovering that, as a Christian, I'm going to suggest to you is not something you need to worry about because it's an inevitability. I said that very poorly. It is an inevitability. It is an inevitability. It's called the resurrection of the dead at the very least. So if it's not going to happen in this life that we have, what, a better life than the one you do now, spiritually speaking, I know carnally speaking, mine was doing pretty well, but spiritually speaking, the life is going to continue to mature until you see the day approaching. Think of, think of Anna in the temple, hundred and some odd years old, praying without ceasing, day and night, waiting, hoping for the consolation, the parakaleo, the other comforter, <laughs> the consolation, the redemption of Israel. Okay, 
<laughs> she's there 70 some odd years after her husband dies. She's only married for seven years. How old was she when she got married? I mean, the lady's in her hundreds. She's been there forever, praying, praying, praying. I'm sure she's been a blessing to many, many, many people. But one day she walks up and says to Mary and Joseph, that one. We don't have her words recorded, but she says that one right there. That one, that boy, not the rest, right? So that comes after a lifetime of prayer is my point. Like, why are you so in a hurry? Uh, I'm preaching at me as much at you. You're listening to the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. We're going to take a little bit of break here, come back with your questions and answers. Got a bunch of them. Uh, I will not be the full time. Stick around. All right. So we got, oh, wrong, wrong screen. Here we go. We got questions from y'alls. Let's get to one about parenting boys from Justin. Justin says, good morning, Pastor Fisk. Uh, thank you so much for all you do for us in the Mad Christian uh, and Sons of Solomon communities. You're welcome. Have I talked about Sons of Solomon yet? I did talk about the Psalms a little bit and the idea of being in the Proverbs daily as a human being is a pretty good one. It's a book on wisdom that God wrote. You're not reading it. That makes you a fool. I'm sorry. It's just what it says. So yeah, the work that I do for these communities, thank you for saying thank you. But like, for me, this is life. Like if I don't, if I don't try to make, ah, see, that's, that's the idolatry in my own heart. If I don't pray for a better future for Christianity, I just don't know that I'm a faithful man at this point. It looks pretty bad right now. So, so you're welcome. You know, it's just like, I have no hope. Uh, except for Jesus. And so I'm trying to share that. Yeah. Um, I always enjoy your podcast live show each week. Good. Uh, you have brought up briefly that you mind that you and your wife are planning a parenting minded podcast and had started recording a conversation of it. Okay. So you're going to go from there and I just want to talk about that first. Yeah. So stop the white noise. Uh, we have the first episode recorded. The problem was that a tool to use for that episode, in fact, did not work. And then the learning curve to use that tool for a second episode is one that I've not had the inspiration uh, to attend to. And so it's, it's really just a matter of that. And once that happens, we're going to start these conversations um, and it will happen eventually. Uh, a lot of this year has been deciding just to not force the things. Yeah, let them, let them be and they'll come. Uh, and, but the conversation, I just want to be clear, is not only on parenting. So Stop the White Noise with Jonathan and Meredith is going to be about uh, how to live as a Christian in the chaos, which means raising a family. Right. So it's, it's, it's all of that because parenting cannot be separated from the habitat. Uh, and and then so in that regard, some of this will be a conversation about. In fact, the one we just did um, is a little bit of a conversation about marriage, uh, and then that's a conversation about, well, the personal unity between a man and a woman that you're going to hear us discuss as I talk about. You know what what you called my revelation. I'm going to call my repentance um, uh, as I talk about that. You know, with her as well, because we've had a great marriage, and yet we've had a fallen marriage. And this year has been one of uh, phenomenal challenge and phenomenal growth. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think we're, we're in for better days. Um, and, it, and yet I also know how easy it is to slip and fall again, to like backslide, like literally, especially in behavior and especially when you let other stories control you. So if parenting is anything, before I go on to your question, parenting is about controlling the story of your children. It's about controlling, I mean it, the story of your children until you release it. So it's, you're controlling the story until it's going to be dropped at the start of the story, right? Which is whenever they really meet the person they're going to marry, I, I think, is, is kind of where that goes, which shouldn't be the moment that they meet somebody who they think they might marry. And parenting's all part of that too. And then it doesn't stop after that. But I, I think you follow. I think you follow. So let's get to your, your question. One point on parenting that intrigues me, and I would love more input 
to put more into practice, I would love to put more into practice, is seeking to not instill fear when teaching or disciplining with my two young boys, two years and four, four, two years old and four months. Well, excuse me. Um, I'm not sure I'm the guy who can answer the question. I'll continue the question. Uh, how would you do this in regards to parenting with firm structure or not responding out of frustration when my oldest boy pushes boundaries or disobeys instruction? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I'm working on it, though. So I'll give you my hypotheses more than my solutions, right? So just don't take them to the bank and say it's, it's orthodoxy. Uh, honestly, I'm not trying to sound too much like I am overly lawful to my boys in what I expect or that I think the daily structure we have for them is my way or the highway. Um, it should be, though. I want to say that uh, my way or the highway for father until they're not boys is actually what it should be, <laughs> right? How it gets there now, okay? So that that phrase, the way you're using it, is this parad, parad- um, sorry, uh, caricature. It's a caricature of fatherhood that makes it sound as if it's bad for the father to, in fact, be in charge. You see that? This is like hundreds of years of subtle destruction to the language of fatherhood. You just gotta gotta believe that, and you'll start seeing it everywhere. Uh, they have absolutely destroyed the idea of manhood. I believe it's after the destruction of Jesus Christ and ultimately after the destruction of the image of God, which is the Father, right? Uh, who Jesus shows us. They just don't want anyone to ever believe in that again. Why would they? Who's they? Not some people's, not some people's alone, at least, yeah? Um, so, a different topic for another time. Uh, point being, again, uh, my way or the highway should really be what a king, a pendragon, a father does in fact own. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean that anger is the solution. Although, if you'll let what I said last week in my sermon kind of ruminate for a moment, it might help that anger is Christian gentleness. Which is not to say that when you're angry, you have therefore been gentle. Oh, no, no, no. Don't be such a jerk. <laughs> Oh, it is It is to say that uh, when you are angry, this is in fact the moment to exercise the muscle of Christian gentleness, which can only continue to be exercised so long as you are angry. The moment you're not angry, you no longer will need to work to be gentle even a little bit. You'll in fact be a bit gluttonous probably. So you hear what I'm saying? So, so like, like anger, far from being something you will stop or something you should do less or get over. Anger is the time to exercise a spiritual reality called my spirit is gentle in its wrath. That is, it is not hasty. It is not overbearing. It doesn't expect that simply because I am angry, you will change. It knows that you, sinful fallen thing that you are, my son, that you will not change unless there is incentive for you. That's the fallen carnal man, and though the spirit can inspire otherwise, I should not expect that of anybody in some straight legal growing up situation. And so I must give you incentive. I must give you incentive. Um, And so rather than have the incentive always be the rod of punishment, which (laughs) certain times you got to take the toy away. For pity's sakes, people, take the toy away. You're in a restaurant. You take the toy away. (laughs) So you you got that, right? But you also have the incentive of uh, positive. Well, once you've eaten this, then you can eat this. Nope, you can't eat that till you eat this. I'm sorry. Once you eat this, you'll eat this. Oh, look, you did it. You can have this, right? Like There you have, again, controlled the story, right? My way or the highway. And yet it wasn't like, or else, right? It was more like, okay, I have to have it be my way or I'm taking the highway in God's sight as father. So how do I... 
how do I have it be that way without being the rage machine barbarian that this civilization has made me that is barely being kept under wraps by the illusion of the matrix. <laughs> I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to go nuts with it, but I, I, I see it. I see it. And I, all it's going to take is for a bunch of people to figure out, to do it at the same time. And it's going to be bad fast. Um, what they have trained these young men to be is nothing but rage machines. And so if fathers do struggle with this because we have no real capacity for it. And I would suggest that the blue light also makes you more impulsive, therefore less able to control your rage. Now, does this mean everybody always? I know people who spend a lifetime on blue light and are very gentle people. However, stop acting as if an anecdote undoes the reality. It's like, I know people who like drown and come back up and you push the water out and they're still alive. It's amazing. But you know, it doesn't always happen. So <laughs> those kinds of arguments are just nonsensical nonsensical. When you're going to get into parenting, you have to be the king, my friend. Okay, so take that. Take that. A good king, a king like Solomon, only better because you won't even make Solomon's mistakes because you saw them made by him. He did it for you. So, okay, from there, seeking guidance to be a loving father who points my family to his Christ and to all, into the word and all things in moments of frustration or discipline, right? Um, you're going to have to repent. You're going to do it wrong. If you're going to point them to Christ, then you're not going to do it right, and you're going to have to repent. You're going to be one who fails and then goes and prays yourself, Lord, I'm not doing a good job with my sons. And then you're going to go to your sons. You're going to say, I have prayed to the Lord for forgiveness in my parenting of you. And that itself is the passing on of the faith. <laughs> like that, that kind of thing must happen regularly. You're going to be reading the Bible. Your son's going to come and say, what does it say? And you're going to tell him what it says. If you're never reading the Bible, that's not going to happen. You know, um, so, all right, let's go back to, um, though, I want to get really specific about the way you said it before. Mm -mm -mm. Not instilling fear when disciplining my boys. Okay. So there, I do want to say this. Okay. The most important thing I have learned so far with my one boy who I've hardly pretend to have been, uh, you know, without, without sin on understanding his needs, uh, his growth curve. I mean, I didn't know mine. How could I know his? So we didn't have the rights that they used to have in the old tribes. Um, I mean, they did. Confirmation still kind of officially in the LCMS is supposed to be that, but it's really, it's really <laughs> an empty shell. Um, so and anybody who's who's watched half the kids never come back again every year or worse, I mean, no, it's an empty shell. It's an empty shell. Uh, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, so, but to not instill fear in these boys who have, uh, when, when we don't have, that path out. Okay, I'm gonna I'm slow down. Let me give you some history. You know what happened in the tribes? You know what happened with the, with you know, on the jungles with, with the people who had like a coming of age. Lots of different ways. Always sort of different. Um, I, I don't know that I know all of them, and I probably am gonna hodgepodge it as I tell you the story. But so what? It's a story, and it's as good as just about anything else you're getting on CNN. For pity's sake, or Fox for that matter. Um. What happened was the boys were raised by the women for a certain amount of time until it was decided they're going to be boys. They didn't really get to hang out with them much, but then when they're going to be boys, the men take them out at night and leave them alone in the darkness. And then they scare the death out of them with everything they can. They don't let them know it's the men. They don't. And then in the morning they come back and they're like, how you doing boys? And the boys are like, <sighs> and they're like, all right, you're men. Now why? No mama. That's why. No mama. So how do you learn from that? And then don't be a pagan about it. Don't think you have to like just absolutely terrify the boy. That you have to be the father who shows the boy that the world is terrifying and will kill him and everybody and everything he loves. How do you show him that and not instill fear? That's your question. And I would say I think the answer is you got to instill fear, the fear of God. 
the fear of the world being evil and lying to you, so you ought to fear God more than the world. That is, trust God more than you trust the world, because those things are tied to each other. Fear and trust are tied to each other. So if you want your boys to love and trust you, then they must also fear you. But it must be this thing called filial fear, which definitely is not created by shaming people. Okay, So when you say you don't want your kids to have you be angry, what you're really saying is you don't want to shame them. Right. And you're right. Christians should not be in the practice of shaming people into behavior. We certainly should shame someone who's publicly despaying in the wide community and unrepentant spirit. That's what excommunication is. Right. But that's not that's like the end of it. Should we do that sometime? Probably discipline wouldn't be bad, but that's a different conversation. The point is, when you're instructing a neophyte, this is someone who wants to be a Christian. They're not looking to, like, get something out of it and get whatever they can. And we don't even care. What they're trying to do is grow up in the faith, and shame is not going to help them. Shame is the religion of the evil one. Shame is the religion of pantheism and every other holiness cult, cleanliness cult that's out there that is not fulfilled, but overcome and overturned by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, what you're asking is, how do I not shame my sons? And I'll tell you, the mouth of the father is a wicked thing. Hold your tongue. Get into James, get into Proverbs. That's what I got. I am increasingly attempting when I speak to my son to be very vocally clear to him that I have no desire to shame him. It's about all I can do is, hey, son, okay, we got to talk. And I need you to, I, I don't want you to be ashamed here right now. This is not the goal. The goal is not for you to feel bad or like you have to grow or, or get better. Here's the thing. If you do that again, you might kill yourself. I would like you not to do that. Can we work on this? You with me here? Like I'm, 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 I'm emotional. I'm serious right now. You know why? I don't want you to die. It would make me sad. It would make me angry. And I'm feeling all that right now. And so I would like you not to drink that poison, please. Don't stop. Step away from the can, right? <laughs> and so, you know, it's instilling your fear in him. You must, you must instill your fear of God in him. How? I think the rage is actually our worshiping of the child as an idol, usually. We're like running at them, screaming and shaming them. We are worshiping them as an idol that we hope to make greater than us. And so they have to not make the mistakes that we make. And so we yell at them when they do. This is the natural human pattern. You're not special for doing it. Everybody does it. How do you stop? Have you tried the Sons of Solomon Psalms yet? Have you, have you like decided to give yourself some out loud words four times a day that are not just from you or from the world, but are guaranteed to be from Jesus? Because that's how you start. Right, a little bit at a time. And it sounds like, as as my friend Frisbee the Hand said, Justin, like, you're doing what must be done, which is being a Christian and trying. <laughs> uh, the, the Roman Catholics in the Middle Ages had a, had this thing, do what is in you. And it was kind of sad because they used it to make all of the bad stuff they teach about, like pur- purgatory, just go away. But it's kind of right. Not that you're saved because you do what is in you. That's how they used it. That's wrong. But in terms of, like, what should I do? What's, what should I do now? Like, I'm a Christian. What next? What's your hand fine to do? Do what's in you. Did you fail? Guess who your God is? The one who found you in the desert. He found you in the desert. He puts you on his shoulders. He carries you back. What? So he could just kick you out again? That is not your God. You're still thinking like you worship the old God, like Kronos, that wretched man, wretched man. Okay, so Justin, I hope that that helps your question a little bit there with parenting, and I do hope also we get that um, podcast eventually out. I have no promises, though, because I refuse to be tyrannized by industry and gears. I will not. I will not. Um, Brian says this. Uh, 
He says, Special Fisk, I wanted to chime in on your use of confirmation bias. It seems to me that you use the term when you're talking about giving more credence to the last thing you heard, but it is recency bias uh, that I'm talking about, he says. Confirmation bias is talking about the thing you heard and interpreting it in a way that confirms what you believe already. All right. So, cool. I'm not quite sure where I picked up my definition of confirmation bias, but it was just in the last couple of um, months. And it would have been from a combination at least of the book Influence um, and uh, the book uh, um, uh, Crucial Conversations, both of which deal with uh, ways that human psyche and psychology can be hijacked in, uh, well, marketing, uh, in conversation and counseling all over the place. Why would I want to do that? Because I'm tired of being hijacked. That's why. That's why I'm reading about it. (laughs) Tired of being hijacked. Uh, People use this stuff for evil all the time. So buy it, learn it, use it for good. So, I will, I will freely admit, Brian, that your, um, your definition of your distinction between the two is no doubt more correct in a dictionary than mine is. Um, but what I'm going to say for my part is that it's a, it's a distinction without a meaning so far as the actual effective reality of the news cycle and life in the modern world is. That is that recency bias is confirmation bias and confirmation bias is recency bias. Not that they should be. That's what actually is. Look at it. That's what's happening. I'm not saying that here we have a theory about these things and what they could be. I'm saying what's happening is recency bias has become confirmation bias. Whatever you hear most recently, you in fact believe more truly and it does move all of us. So I agree. Like I'm not disagreeing except for that. This is kind of on my defend versus attack um, posture when it comes to words, right? And I'm, I'm really thinking Christian apologetics, but it has to do with any time that we get deconstructed um, by definitions that would nuance something that really in practical reality is not nuanced. There's nothing nuanced about the distinction between how the news cycle creates confirmation bias in those who watch it. You know, And it's by using recency bias. So great. You want to go deeper in the science? Awesome. Um, but uh, what I want people to learn though, right, is that... Uh, what has happened is that whatever you heard most recently has become, because you're always listening to a certain idol talk to you, not all the idols in the world, but one that's controlled, a grand meta-narrative of story that is the media right now, and, and they are owned by a small elite group of people that intentionally want to control the story. Time just wrote an article about it, for pity's sakes. It's a gaslight to gaslight the end of gaslighting. Um, and I really know what I'm talking about when I say gaslighting. Uh, and so you know, it, confirmation bias is simply to remember what you've already heard most recently. And that goes on both sides of the spectrum uh, at this point, right? So we go to the most recent news to find what we're already looking for. So in that regard, Brian, you're right that confirmation bias is a greater power than recency bias, I think. But the fact is that it's we have we've attached recency bias to it in practice. And so what do you want to call it? We'll make up a new name for both of them. We'll be German. We'll call it a recency confirmation bias, right? <laughs> that's how they do it in German, right? Um, I'm just calling it confirmation bias because uh, I think that's the greater power um, ultimately, right? That's the thing that's the problem. The problem is not that you believe something you heard recently. That's actually what God wants you to do. It's called the third commandment. Right. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping holy. Believe something you heard recently. It's, it's the power of smart noting. Uh, and so uh, it's that you create a positive feedback loop of your own confirmation bias intentionally chosen to challenge it and learn well, where your real first principles are. Um, so and I, so smart notes must have been another place I picked this up. And maybe maybe again, you could even point me where I missed out on the uh, recency bias distinction there. But I, I think in practice for the common person, um, it's a distinction without a distinction. The, the fact is we are we are caught in a loop. You can just call it a positive feedback loop, but that's wrong too. It's actually quite right. It's what Jordan Peterson does call it, but there's nothing positive about it, right? And so, you know, the language is just babble. <laughs> uh, so thank you for keeping me honest and keeping the conversation going, uh, even though I'm not sure we can really fix the problem. Um, 
I'm not sure we're supposed to. And that's kind of my, my thing now. I'm sorry if that's, if that's wrong. I will learn. I will learn in front of you. I mean, I'm here for you to see, right? So uh, Risk It uh, says this. It is, is it appropriate to separately identify the persons of the Trinity in the Old Testament? Did I just answer this last week? Uh, Jesus instead of the angel of the Lord, the Father, the Spirit. Um, so yes, uh, you want to kind of do it freely, loosely, devotionally, piously without assuming you've come to final conclusions lest you become a heretic. Yeah. So, I mean, here's what I do and I'm teaching my son to do is that when he sees the capital letters L O R D Lord in the Bible, not to say out loud Lord, but to say out loud Jesus Christ. That puts Jesus everywhere in the Bible, trying to find the father in the Bible, not what Jesus really has shown us that we should do. Okay. So if there's a time in the Bible where there is Jesus and another person who is not the Holy Spirit, I'm going to say, mm, Father, like, so the voice in his baptism, things like that, right? But generally the father dwells in inapproachable light. We've been told that God, the only God who's Jesus has made him known. And that's it. When you look at him, you see the father. There's a bunch of verses that are like the father. You're pretty much unbegottenly not capable of knowing you really aren't. He is beyond you. That's he's, he's the source, the fountainhead of Godhead. Don't go getting hierarchical modernist on me as if that somehow denies the Trinity. Ah, the endlessness of our listening to the hypocrites anyway. So, so I would not encourage you to go looking for the father, uh, in the old Testament too directly to distinguish him from Jesus and the spirit. Um, although piously, there's no reason not to know that it's always the father behind Christ. You know, Christ never does anything apart from the father. He is not the father in flesh. Yes. The Trinity is a complicated thing when you want to argue about it. But if you just trust that when you see God in the old Testament it's Jesus, unless it's really clearly not Jesus, such as the times it tells you it's the Holy spirit. Even then, Western Christians as we are, uh, spirit proceeds from Jesus too. So the Trinity works in a, in a, uh, unity. The tri-unity works tri-unly and should go without saying, right? So, so how are you supposed to see God in the Old Testament? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the light shining clearly. The Old Testament is the cloudy mirror. You put Jesus in as the fulfillment of all those promises and it starts to make sense. When he is Yahweh, when he is Joshua God, when he is the saving Lord, when he is El Shaddai, when he is Sabaoth, when he is all those things, you're like, wow, I want to be a Christian now. <laughs> you know, so call me, call me kooky. Uh, cause I, I, that's, that's, that's my MO. That's my MO. All right. So we're going to go with, uh, another question here. Ba-ba. Jesus Corona or Jesus Corona would be crown though. Right. And it's not, spe- anyway, Jesus Corona says this, yo, pastor Fisk, what do you think about the Orthodox church's disagreement with our Lutheran sola fide? All right. So, I'd call that a very broad question that I'm afraid of answering because here's the thing about the Orthodox and here's the thing about the Reform. Um, They take it personally every time. And (laughs) open-ended things are their MO. So what happens in both of those bodies is the, the, the external structure and appearance, I mean, sacramentarian bodies, the external and, and EO, uh, the external structure appearance of unity. Everything looks the same. Everything feels the same. Everything acts the same. You can even see this in American churches that are different denominations, right? But they, they all kind of feel and look and act the same. Um, and yet, uh, they are underneath that umbrella of appearance, a vast and wide diversity of ideas. So that you can't really argue against them without one of them saying, we don't teach that. 
Now, Rome, frankly, works the same way. And honestly, you can make the same accusation about the name Lutheran. No problem. And the LCMS. Easy. Easy. Heck, my congregation. You got people to believe different things, right? So, so you got that too. But when it's on a systemic level, oh goodness, systemic racism, right? I mean, there are systemic things in the world. Systems happen. And on a systemic level, I would say that the Orthodox do not teach a clear thing that allows me to answer this question <laughs> uh, by saying yes, no, this, that, maybe. Um, and, uh, and that similarly, they are not unlike uh, the, the Reformed Sacramentarian movement that doesn't want to admit it's all one movement of Sacramentarianism, usually. Um, I wrote a book about it, so don't argue here. Go get the book and then argue, um, which that's great. Um, write a book back is what they used to do. Not a text, not a note. You write another book. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it used to be. And that's how like the debates could happen. I mean, I guess that's, that's what made the modern world what it is. Maybe, maybe. Um, let me say this though. Why am I not Eastern Orthodox? Why do I never intend to be Eastern Orthodox? Even if somehow, you know, the uh, mother Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod should, should, you know, God save the queen, um, cease to exist. And my health benefits and fraternal fellowship with the pastors would all drift away because nothing should rise to take its place. And I'm, I'm alone and adrift and me and St. Paul, where should we go? Well, the Orthodox seem to be an option because the liturgy is there and you can find Luther in almost anything in the fathers because they're also a wax nose. If you want them to be, uh, you don't have a rule of faith at the end of the day. And, and so is the liturgy, the rule of faith. Okay. Um, you know, I, I can get on board with those things. But as you point out, um, the idea of salvation being by grace alone through faith alone seems to react poorly with orthodox thought and practice, um, at least in our conversations. And this is a historical thing. This is like 600 years now, 500 some odd years, uh, 520 years now. Um, no, 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 I'm sorry. We just passed 500. So 475 years now, which is like they reached the, the early Lutherans. I mean, wrong as they might be. In many things, right as they may be in many things, they weren't called Lutherans. They were called confessionalists or gospelers, uh, evangelicals. Uh, they reached out to the Patriarch of Constantinople, and there you can go read it. It's kind of an awkward back and forth. They, they clearly had something lost in translation. Um, they're basically excommunicating each other within two letters. Uh, it's 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 not much for like hmm, ancient problems need slow solutions. Uh, uh, so so what do I think about the disagreement with our Lutheran sola fide? Eastern Orthodoxy is a ethnicity before it is um, truly, truly a spirituality. There are different ethnicities that have cornered parts of Eastern Orthodoxy, but to talk about it as one thing, as if the Greeks and the Russians and the uh, you know everybody else—I'm I'm not very good at knowing all of them. There's many groups within this, you know, and, and these um, Antiochian churches. I, I'm not going to go and say that I disagree with their take on faith until I even know what that is. But they're on the other side of the planet. There is an Orthodox church in town right up the street. I, I, my guess is he and I would agree about a lot of stuff. My guess is at the end of the day he believes Jesus is risen and that faith that Paul talks about is to trust in Jesus. Now, if I had to like go and nitpick some corner doctrine he hasn't thought about since a long time that somehow is somewhere taught by some Orthodox guy that he would have to say yes to, but I bring it up and say, therefore, that undoes all of this, so therefore you're not a Christian, I think he's going to get offended. And so I think if I want to really build a uh, a unity with him, I should start by recognizing that he has as much a claim to being a Christian as I do, and that I'm a Christian. Why should I doubt him? Just because our histories are different until I have actually find out whether or not our our confessions are different. Because um, as much as I am a Lutheran who confesses the Book of Concord of 1580, I am not a cookie cutter with the other pastors in my church body. Duh, right? We think any of them are? 
I mean, that's that's insulting. That's just straight up insulting. And so you know, you you have these these shepherds, these leaders, these God given. That's what the call means. These are God given men to follow because they're supposed to see further than you do. And all we want to do is argue about the past with you know people far away. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that when anybody denies that you're saved through faith and would try to teach that in the realm of Jesus, you must complete the action, that the cross was insufficient, it's up to you to make her good. Well, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. And if they're saved, it'll be as one escaping through the fire. So pray for their immortal soul and body. And then as you are able, remind them of the sufficiency of Jesus and try to do it without starting an argument. Just tell them Jesus is enough. Ah, Jesus is enough. They'll get mad. They'll leave if they really don't believe it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think the distinctions are wrong. I don't think the reference books of the Lutherans are wrong. I think we've been fighting against a different enemy than we're fighting right now. I do think that. I definitely do. Uh, so, <laughs> genre. Uh, the Joshua Project writes in and says this. Thank you, Joshua Project. Why do Roman Catholics love to bash Luther? <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, take a step back. And think on like an old money global world political risk board scale, right? I mean, they were doing pretty well. They, they kind of had like the universal cosmetic empire wrapped up. Didn't even matter if the empire was the empire. They were over the The empire comes and goes. We just got to sit here with the art <laughs> you know, and the libraries. I mean, they had a, they had a good thing going. And uh, people make the case, of course, that the entire reason for the Reformation was the freeing of goods and trade in northern Germany, and intellectual trade being perhaps the most important trade, but freeing of goods and trades in northern northern Europe, quote-unquote Germany, um, a, a very unique place on the other side of a big mountain range. And that's what really caused the Reformation. Now, I think that's probably part of the Reformation, just like the printing press was part of the Reformation, uh, just like Luther's personality was part of the Reformation. Uh, but what was really going on in the Reformation for Christianity was the question, what does the Bible say? It's still the same thing. It's never changed on that regard. But why do Roman Catholics love to bash Luther and the Reformers? Well, what did Luther do? Why did his story have the impact that it did? Was it because he was so great? No, it was not. Was it because he was so clever? No, he happened to be. But that's not why. I mean, in a sense it was. He was so clever as to put his foot in it before he realized what he'd done. He didn't realize he, little guy by himself, little monk way off in a corner that nobody would care about for teaching just about anything because anything was allowed to be taught. He happened to teach against the money-grabbing pyramid scheme of indulgences, which the Pope, who just came to power by wicked means, really wanted to work to his advantage for the sake of upping St. Peter's, which stands to this day as a tribute to his name, Leo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so... um. <laughs> When you poke the eye of the beast and you actually do it, you know, black arrow to smog and like, oh, not the scale, the eyeball. <clears throat> He's still alive. Um, it doesn't go well. <laughs> right. And so that's uh, that's what Luther faced. Now, those who came before Luther had it go worse. People who were cut up into many pieces, people who were burned alive, like, like John Huss, right? Roman Catholics, has the church ever actually recanted any of this? I mean, if you really are an honest Roman Catholic, I, I, you should be working for that kind of stuff, I think, to be like, acknowledge that the handling of the Reformation was a bit much. Yeah? Like, it really, 
Hmm. Let's start ecumenical talk beyond come home and have it be we abused you. How about that? Yeah. So anyway, why do they love to bash Lutheran reformers? But when you challenge them to read their works, they make a million excuses not to because they'll lose. They know that. They knew that then. Jesuits exist and then change, but they exist as an attempt to stop the Lutherans from being too smart because uh, they were German nutballs who like straight lines. People make straight lines and they will always be straight in the Bible. And then they had all oh, that we write and we publish, you know, and just went crazy with this thing. And so they were, bar none, some of the smartest people who ever lived. And if you go read them, you'll find out how stupid you are. These guys are quoting three and four languages like it's nothing. They don't translate it for you. They just throw it in the sentence. You know, more than that. They read the Bible left and right and up and down. And in lifetimes, they trained their kids. There were generations that did this, right? The questions they asked, here's the challenge. The questions they asked are not all the same questions that we're fighting with today in our current age. Although it's always justification, it's always sin, it's always new obedience, it's always resurrection. But their terminology, their opponents, the way that the lies were twisted, there's been 500 years of twists since then. So what I'm saying is this. Trying to get people to go read Luther isn't necessarily what you need a Roman Catholic to do anyway. But I will tell you this, that same thing that applies to your Bible, like it's sitting there and you're like, I should read more. I should read more. I don't want to read more. Why don't I want to read more? I don't want to read more. Well, see, that applies to everything God. <laughs> uh, and your flesh is against it. And so when you've decided to be a part of the great Babylonian captivity of the visible church, so-called, the uh, uh, the Roman Catholic seat, the see of Peter over there on the Tiber, um, uh, well, when you call it what it is, uh, you got to expect it not to like you, as even Benedict has kind of found out. Mm. And the best they can do is write a treatise on celibacy. <laughs> I read the new book. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. I was hoping for something with that. I Good luck, guys. You know what we should do, Lutherans? Here's what we should really do. You want this one? We won't do this. We're not this smart. It's too hard. No humans are this smart. Basically, we got to spot every young man who's like 12 right now and like super smart and pious. Got to train them all to be pastors. Get them married. Don't get them ordained. Don't get them ordained. Just get them married. Train them how to be pastors, train them how to navigate like a school would inside the Roman Catholic Church, have them get married, have them get turned Roman, have them all get ordained just as they're bringing married priesthood in and you'd have this pile of Lutheran priests. I wouldn't be honest. It wouldn't be honest, we say. Or he's not smart enough. That's that's way too much work. (laughs) And thank God Jesus probably has a better plan anyway. But really, if you're going to like, like say, let's, let's think about this. Let's think about this. Look at what that beast is. Rome is such a beast. Talk about divided. They are, they are so divided. There is nothing that is Roman Catholicism except the Pope, except Vatican City. The rest of it's a long, big story about your bloodline's ethnicity that you've confused with your religion, most people who are in it. Uh, and you happen to be a Christian and it happens to have helped your Christianity, so you're not ready to jettison it yet. I'm cool with all that too. What I'm not cool with is the idea that the Bible isn't true. And that when I say I'm saved by grace, I should go to hell. I'm not cool with that. And the Roman Catholic Church teaches that officially, like it's pronounced. And you can say, well, we don't really teach Trent anymore because Vatican II. (laughs) Tell that to the Trentines. I mean, it's Latin Mass only. Why do they not like it? The same way Lutherans don't like it and we have to (laughs) deal with challenges to our history. Did it make that noise when I did that? I was going to leave it hanging there like that. Great and small, 1210 says this. Our pastor calls himself the sheep now. Uh, with one eye on the sheep, one on the master. Yeah, that's good. I mean, he's thinking himself as like, you don't want to be a hireling, right? 
And so to, to shepherd a people, um, so a sheep that does, I remember being at a, way back, uh, out on the East coast, we were in the Philly area, went to a, some evening barbecue event. Uh, we didn't know the family, but church members did. And it was a big, big thing. And, uh, they had all this stuff set up for people to eat outside and a big overhang and all this. And they had a, a dog and I believe they did 10 sheep or cattle, but I was watching the dog herd the children. It was, it was like these like little tiny two and four year olds run around and they'd kind of move out too far from the party and dog go chase and bring them back. And it was, just, it was, it was amazing to watch this dog literally hurting the children. It was beautiful. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's what a pastor's got to do, right? Is try to keep an eye on the sheep. The trick in this age is y'all run away. <laughs> y'all run away. Sheepies. Hey, sheepies. Why won't you come to my house? You know, I, I, I don't get it. Um, I do. It's a dark age with a lot of temptations, a lot of other things to do besides be at your church. And when you come to your church, you're usually not there thinking about how you're there uh, for your pastor, uh, for a relationship with your pastor, because that's a relationship with the mediator of the new covenant of your God. Not that you would need him, but he's there to exhort you because you tend to forget. Yeah. You're one of those that don't ever forget. Okay. Well, everybody else tends to forget. And so, you know, the, Jesus instituted a divine office to be his face to you. It's called your pastor, your shepherd, sheepdog, whatever you want to call it. Don't be less than a shepherd, though. That's kind of the thing I don't like about the sheepdog talk. It's not, you're not less than a shepherd. You are a shepherd. He inhabits you. We are the body of Christ. You are baptized. You are also sent and authorized so that woe to you if you do not preach the gospel. So there's, there's something more going on here, too. But that relationship between you and that shepherd whose voice should be Christ's voice in your midst, um, that's one that's there for your benefit. It's also there for his benefit. That's why when you fight, it's to nobody's benefit. Because it's supposed to benefit you both. That's why when you fight about who's in charge, it's to nobody's benefit. That's why when you talk about who's in charge, it's to nobody's benefit. Who's in charge is Jesus. Jesus gave you a shepherd. Shepherds see and call. You should hear what they see and call. And if it happens to not be what Scripture says, you should get all the other sheep and go chase that shepherd away. But if it happens to be what the Bible says, and you're bored, you should buckle down and learn how not to be bored. <laughs> Straight up. You know, stop whining. And your poor little sad self. huh? Uh, because the shepherd is way better than the wolf. And if, if that's what it takes to wake us up, right, um, uh, to remember there's a wolf out there. They were pricked not to fall away, but the, the uh, I don't have it memorized, the, uh, the poisonous fangs of the serpent so that they remem- might remember your good works, oh Lord. That's uh, uh, Sons of Solomon bit there for me. Uh, I, I should memorize that one so I can give you the context. It's from Wisdom, uh, which actually, talking about that, there, were, there came up, the idea of the ap- apocryphal writings came up in, um, I think it was in Dystopic Horror, Mad Christian Discord. Um and uh, the idea of whether or not we can use uh, resources that are not in the Bible, and the argument, um, one of the arguments is that if it says that it's Scripture, therefore then we can't use it. And I think the idea would be then, if it doesn't say it's Scripture, it can be, you know, lies from the devil, but we can use it. It would be like the logical other side. I don't think that's what the person necessarily meant. Um, but this, this is sort of the problem here, uh, is that if it says it's Scripture— and it's not scripture, you're right, we should be very wary of it. But that doesn't mean we're not going to mine it for the lie that it made out of a truth, which you should be able to do with any lie ever told, because no lie stands by itself. And that seems to be what Jude did when he quoted the book of Enoch. 
And for that reason, I think we can read the book of Enoch as the conversation was about because Jude quoted it. And he, I don't know why I would necessarily want to very often. Um, I haven't even, but it's allowed, right? And that's kind of the key that has to be there because everything that's not the Bible is part of the noise that the Bible is going to tell you is or is not truth. And so for the Bible to do that, you need the other noise around. I'm not saying you need evil. Don't get me wrong. I'm not building a cosmology here. I'm just talking about your practice, your daily practice as you read the word of God. You're not going to avoid the voices of the world. So don't think you're going to by not reading this book or that book. Every other book is a voice of the world that will lead you astray unless you have the scriptures forming you. And if you have the scriptures forming you, then the book of Enoch isn't going to be a problem for you. If if you believe the Old and New Testament straight up across the board, Enoch's not going to lead you astray. It really won't. It just can't. It's not strong enough to. And so that's where like the argument becomes... Uh, the wrong argument. You're trying to like book burn, right? And then it's like, I get it. Like I throw books away when I don't, when I bought it and it sucked and I don't want it anymore. I throw it away. But it's not because I think the answer is to remove ideas. I think I, I threw it away because it wasn't worth keeping. <laughs> you know, it's not a good idea. Bad ideas remove themselves. And Enoch stuck around for a reason. And Jude quoted it for a reason. And particularly the line he quotes, we should take with all seriousness. And I used to make the opposite argument. You can probably make a video of me making the argument that Jude may not be canon, which it may not be canon because of its quoting of Enoch. And that's where your argument's going to lead, uh, you know, if you're on the other side of this. Um, and as a Christian, you can you can think that Jude is not canon. It's part of the antilegomena. There's a big history to this, and whether or not it got in the Bible, was it was barely in. Um, that being said, I'm convinced it's from the brother of Jesus. And so for that reason, I trust it d- 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 immeasurably. And uh, why do I think it's from the brother of Jesus? Read it in Greek. Slow down and read it in Greek. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing letter. Unbelievable. The idea that Peter and Jude are like copies... They, they definitely work on the same themes. It's almost like two guys who work together both said we should write something and send it out in two directions to see what happens. Anyway, uh, Anthony goes on with a different question here. He says, I love your videos. Thank you, Anthony. I just wanted to ask you for your prayers. Dear Jesus, please be with Anthony. I don't know how to pray for you right now, Anthony. I'm on a show. Um, uh, but this, this, ah, this is something, though. Okay. Prayer. When you say, I'll pray for somebody, what do you do? Do it right then? And the problem with the show is like, okay, so it's going to be recorded. So now we're going to record prayer. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. It's a ghostly thing. It's strange. It's not normal in history. We don't have rules for this in the Bible. And I'm not convinced it's all good all the time. Electricity and, and whatnot. Blue light, blah, 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 blah. So, um, yeah. So so to pray for you, Anthony, is challenging because you're a, you're a question on a show for me and for others. But here, how's this? Hey, everybody. You can pray for Anthony now. There you go. Um, and... When this show is over, as I'm trying to come off of my ridiculous adrenaline rush and remember that I live in a normal world where it's not crisis, um, uh, I will, after that happens, I, I will pray now, dear Jesus, help me remember Anthony so I can pray. <laughs> that's the trick of prayer, isn't it? Remembering. And if you don't have any time, that's why it won't happen. So what, what do you need prayer for, Anthony? I, I am being drawn into Catholicism. Oh, no. Put a little C on the front. I don't mind. And I am worried that I will leave Lutheranism. Oh, no. Um... What do you mean by Lutheranism? And uh, please pray that God strengthens me. Amen. God has and will, Anthony. It's a fact. But I can tell you this. If you go to Rome because it's an idol, God will not strengthen you through that, through the idolatry. Can he use it to further crush you so at the end of your life you truly understand how it's grace alone? And even though you take the the Last Supper and Mass under the uh, tyranny of the papacy's uh, sacrifice of the Mass, you believe against hope and against words that the priest is not the one being righteous in your stead, in Jesus' stead, but instead you're just getting Jesus' body and blood so you're being saved like Thomas Aquinas. Like, you go for that, right? It just doesn't seem like a winning plan to me. 
to to go where you know they're not going to be unified around the truth because they say we're unified. Look at our big show with all the money. If you learn nothing from this year, I'll pray for you because I think Roman Catholics are good people. I think Roman Catholics are Christians. I think Roman Catholics should take charge of their church and start using their Bible more. I think Roman Catholics have the ability to become one of the most powerful, dominant factors for Christianity in the history of the world. Whenever they decide to stop being the most powerful, dynamic factor for the Pope in the history of the world. Even the priests. I mean, but, but I mean, that's a big challenge, right? That's why I can't go there, even though I just said a moment ago, like, let's all go as a group. <laughs> Let's get ready. Let's not bring like 300,000 Lutherans with like half of them ordained into the ordained priest of the Roman Catholic Church in 2050. Oh, they wouldn't see that one coming. And they might not even be ready for it. They might not be ready for it. You just join the churches. Just go in. Like, don't tell them. Ah, can't do that though, can we? But we could. Uh, you just, the problem with that is though, as an idea, it's way too epic. It's way too hero-esque. It is kind of like conspiracy theory-esque. It's fun to dream. You know what we should really do? Just raise your kids. That's what you should really do. Raise your kids. Talk to them about Jesus. Do that hard thing of being gentle in your anger. Get up every day and pray the Psalms. Read some uh, Sons of Solomon. Now, now, Anthony, maybe you don't have any kids. Okay, so, well, pray for your kids. Do you not want them? If you don't want them, then pray that you would not have them because most people do get them. But if you want them and don't have them yet, I, I'm, I know it's nuts, but like, have you prayed for them? And you're like, yes, I have for 20 years. Okay, well, you know how long Anna prayed Okay, so you know, it is what it is, and the life of prayer is, in fact, what Christianity is. You're redeemed into it. It's healthy. It's good. You want this. You want more of the prayer. Don't go to the place where they're going to take away the prayer, which, frankly, sometimes Lutheranism does that, too. So I don't know what you mean by Lutheranism. I am definitely—look, I am a rostered Lutheran pastor. I am uh, I'm a convicted and believing teacher of the truths of the Book of Concord of 1580. I hold to my oath to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's ordination platform, and I don't trust Lutheranism. <laughs> I don't believe in Lutheranism. There's nothing ism about Luther I want ever, ever, ever again. I don't even, I mean, I know it's like this big thing because like 20 years ago, all the guys who wanted to have rock and roll as our worship, like want to get rid of the name Lutheran. And it was because they want to get rid of the sacraments usually, or at least push them to the side. I know you guys are like, no, we don't. Okay, whatever. Always ends up on the side. Um, so, so like, we're all like, oh, we have to say the name Lutheran. I'm just not there anymore. I'm really not. I think we should call ourselves Christians. And people are like, you'll be confused with people. Yes, I want to be. I want you to be confused. I want you to think I'm a Christian. And when I say the Bible says this, and then you'll trust me and you'll look at it and you'll struggle with it because it's what the Bible says. And have I left Lutheranism? This is, again, I, I don't know. One of the best reviews I ever got from a book was from a Baptist pastor on Echo. And he said something like, in the darkness of the present moment, this book's about the Bible. And recently someone said that was a bad thing and it showed that I teach Baptist theology or something in some Twitter thing. I have no idea what, what that person's really thinking. And I'm, you know, okay. But like, you couldn't, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong, right? If, if, if I'm in fact a coward for what I did there, then, then that is in fact the, the fact. But what I was trying to do is, is precisely get a Baptist to read a book on the Ten Commandments, the Creed and the Lord's Prayer as the heartbeat of Christianity and the belief that over the course of 150 years, he might come to Lutheranism through believing the right stuff. That the, that the trail of crumbs, I said Lutheranism, didn't I? He might come to the knowledge of God 
further and deeper according to the scriptures, which includes the understanding of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which the next book I wrote without flesh was like for him, right? Whoever he is. Like now read this one. <laughs> so uh, if you would like, if you would like to stand firm in the present, you have to stop believing you're going to find it somewhere else. That's idolatry. Fear, love, trust, run. Stop it. Stop being Plato. Back on Plato. Stop being Plato. It is as it should be. You are where you should be. Is it her- is it, is the place heretical? Well, then say something. Talk to the pastor. Get yourself crucified. They won't crucify you. You live in the modern world. They'll just make you feel bad. <laughs> and you wonder why it's falling apart everywhere. Where are you going to move? With all the discontent people that move together in one spot, that'll be better. I look, and I'm inviting you to move to Rockford, by the way. Everybody, please, move to Rockford. Join my church. I'll be your pastor. You're gonna, it, it means you're going to go to my church. I'll be your pastor. It doesn't mean you're going to be my, your buddy, buddy or something, right? But like, hey, look, do it. Like, that's important too. But remember, we're all very discontent right now. And the answer is not going to be for us to fix it by making a new utopia. Just because the liar is running the current utopia, uh, let their underwear show. Uh, have you seen The Island? I think that's the movie, The Island. It's not about shooting people on the island with... That's a book. That's that too. That one's scary. Um, but The Island, the movie. I've been thinking about that one a lot recently. So um, anyway, I'm going to come back to that another time. I think that's all I got for questions from y'all. I'm going to take another short break, come right back and see if there's any super chats. I know I saw one earlier um, and other questions and comments in the side. So if you've got a question for this morning, we got at least another half an hour here, really. Uh, Saturday morning chill on the Mad Christian. Be right back. Stick around. All right. So we got a super chat from Desert Rose earlier that just said, thank you, Pastor Fisk. And then she asked a question which is right here. Uh, Advice needed. Husband's public service employer attempting to force him via public pressure and guilt trip to be vaccinated. Someone blocked for me needs scriptural advice. So my answer would be, I'm a Christian. I believe this has used aborted babies in its production, even though they're not in it. And as a ethical and religious resistance, like because of my religion, I cannot, you would have to stab me. And then I would believe I would go to hell and that would be trauma. And I would sue the heck out of you. I wouldn't say that part, but like, like somehow that story of your religious conviction has to become part of this. Otherwise, well, why are you not doing it if it's not a religious conviction? And that's kind of the point. This is a religion right now. And anybody who says it isn't is really not watching. Um, it is a cleanliness religion being forced upon us by an elite society that wants to distinguish between the common man and itself based upon whether or not you follow and play by certain rules. Uh, namely, not Trump, but he, that's just a big red herring to distract you from the real issues going on right now, which is you're, you're being slowly enslaved. Your grandkids are going to be bond servants. And it's just what's going to happen if you live in flyover country in America. They, they, this, it's already here if you understand how the debt cycle works, but it'll be worse because they don't care about how we're doing is what they really showed. Up to this point, they had that plan in the works one way or the other. The banks did. The debt industry did. Delaware did. Um, but uh, they were providing for us enough that we're like, this is work and this should work and we love this place, right? And now a bunch of us are like, wait a minute. <laughs> So, um, so it's a religion to get back on that. It's a religion. And to see it that way is not wrong. Not everybody will see it that way, particularly those who believe in it as a religion. They will not think their God is a God. They will think that their God is a divine gift that all should have to worship. Um, but those of us who are like, I don't like that God. We are suddenly very evil to them. They cannot handle that. We disagree with them. They think we are uh, reckless, I guess would be a word, rude, cruel, non-humanitarian to use Dr. Bombaro's language from a couple weeks ago. 
So again, I would, I would try to avoid all of that in the conversation with my employer. And I would say, I, this is my religion. I cannot take that because this is my religion. And when they asked me to say, what do you mean? I would say the production of aborted baby parts being part of this means I cannot partake of it. I could be about to die and it would save my life and I can't have it. You better mean it though. When you say that, and you better then go back and be honest on that with all the rest of stuff you do with, with, you know, medicine, right? So don't, don't make that kind of claim and then not follow it through. But that's kind of where I would be. I would also, as a pastor, be making the argument of religion without having to say the baby parts that I, I see this as the participation in a civil religion, which we must reject. There's a level at which Christians can, can like be in Babylon while they're worshiping the statue. And like, as long as we're not bowing, we can still move around and like, it's okay. And like, yeah, they got a statue over there. Okay. But we're, when it becomes, you must bow down to the statue. That's when I'm like, <laughs> you believe in that statue all you want. Yeah. Um, but my religion is different. And so for me, that I, the religious argument, the religious freedom argument, the declaration of independence argument, the one in theory is our country argument. Um, I, I would go there. However, he and you can now biblical advice. Don't go against your conscience. I don't know if that's even biblical advice. That's Lutheran advice for sure. Um, don't go against your conscience. If your conscience is involved, you should listen to it and at least engage it. You should not change what you do directly against conscience, you might have to realize it's not your healthy conscience, but your carnal man that you're dealing with. And in that regard, that intuition is wrong and should be dealt with, right? So it's not as though just because I say don't go against conscience, it means you're right. It means that going against conscience only makes you feel more wrong for it later uh, than if you had just gone with conscience and been proven wrong. And so don't go against conscience is, is pretty key advice. Now, if you have the Bible with you, again, you've got conscience telling you that the abortion industry is a bad thing. Um, and so you can use that if you would like. Um, but otherwise, you might also just have to suffer. So there's your other biblical advice. Um, I'm not, I heard it said recently, and I am not able to, unfortunately, I, it's so hard. How do you address some things in the world where you really wish you could speak and you can't? But I heard it said recently that God does not want us to suffer. And I, golly, it's not a bigger lie. God, not a bigger lie. It's a huge lie. What do you mean God does not want you to suffer? Is God not God? Did he not make the world? Or is he not your God now? Do you think the world's not the way he wants it to be? Yeah, but sin. Yeah, but sin. He could have destroyed it too, and he didn't. Why? Because he wants it to be like this. Why? To save you. That's why. Really? Yes, to save you. And for that, he needs the suffering. He gives you the suffering. He keeps the suffering coming upon you. He will not alleviate the suffering so much that you would forget him. It's the gospel. So... Although I don't want to tell you, Desert Rose, that like, you know, you're going to lose the job and you're going to suffer. I don't want to tell you that. But like, that might happen. That's history. That's what they do to people who don't join their religion in pantheism. This is why the tolerance of Christianity was a marvel. And the idea that it could be imported via Greek philosophy into Christendom uh, was also a marvel for the Western world. Is it still here? Clearly not in this situation. Although, amazingly, what you find with communism is that it only works as long as you believe it. And so when they say, it's like this, it's like that, if you're like, oh, well, I have to. If I speak up, I'll get in trouble. I might have problems. You don't speak up. Well, then there you go. You just you go along and it takes as much as it, as you will let it take. Uh, the way Luther would have said this about sin was, you know, give Adam a finger. He'll take the whole arm. And, you know, that pretty much applies across the board. So, um, 
what you do need to do is advocate for yourself. You have to stand up for what you believe is right and say, I don't, you know, I understand everyone is in this world and wants these things in this way, but I do not believe, according to my religion, I can take this. That's my statement. I want to leave it like that. You want me to explain it? Can I please just leave it like that and you judge that statement? My, I don't need to defend my religion. My religion is my religion. It's private. You're not even supposed to ask about it. What are you talking about? My religion says I can't take this. You want to fire me? I love working here. You're, you're the best employee. I mean, like, I'd be like lavishing. You're, this is the best place to work ever. I love working here. It's the best. Uh, but you got to be honest. You got to be honest. And then if, if you suffer, you suffer. But also know that a lot of times they're just trying to get as much as they can because their job right now is to get as many people on the vaccine as possible. Not for now, for later. <laughs> if you know pharma, you know it's not for now, for later. If you don't know pharma, well, you don't know pharma. Um, so, uh, you know, I have good friends. I have pastors I know. I have members who have taken the vaccine or one of the vaccines. Um, they they really did an end around where you can, as a Christian, have your conscience allowed to take this vaccine. You can do it. You, you have to do what I won't do. But, ah. Uh, you know, not everyone's thought it through that way. And my job is not to run around and chase everybody down and pin them down and say, have you thought it through? Uh, it's it's out there. And so if you take it because all the other circumstances and nuances around you push you to that point, then the consequences come with that, right? So you're going to suffer one way or the other, which is kind of the point too. You can't avoid the suffering. So if you're going to suffer by taking it, well, then you're going to suffer by taking it. If you're going to suffer by not taking it, you're going to suffer by not taking it. Jesus is your God, the suffering servant, who knows what you are in and hears his people cry. So cry out. Why is the suffering come to remind us to cry out? Is that what a bad guy would do? That's what a good guy would do to bad things. <laughs> oh, we're so upside down, aren't we now? So I hope that helps, Desert Rose. I really do. And I hope it doesn't get you guys in trouble because I, I, I cannot control your world. I cannot, you know, my advice is just an idea floating through the aether of space. Um, I try to give you as much as I can that your conscience matters. And you want to guard it carefully. Scripture matters. Listen to what it says. And then if you suffer, count yourself blessed, as the apostles did, to have been called to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And you can apply that to all your suffering your entire life long, because every second you spend breathing this dying death, earth, air, is one more second you're suffering, because God wants you to be here to say that it's not going to be this way forever. That there's another time coming when this thing that we call suffering will give way to something far greater. Far more what we can't even ask or imagine. Yeah, Brian Wolfe is here this morning. He says, what are your thoughts about church being an essential service? Now, this is getting into like when the state governors and whatnot are saying things like, um, you know, only essential industries stay open. And initially in Illinois, uh, the churches were not listed on essential. There was, to my understanding, a Roman Catholic uh, organization that sued the governor and got churches kind of put in. So now on their tiers, churches are always listed, but are sort of like, and yet you can make up your own mind, which amazingly puts it in the hands of the storytellers in the congregation. And whoever gets to be the loudest tends to be the one that drives the story in American confirmation bias, recency, recency. Ah, See, Brian, this is why I don't want recency bias. Um, in, in, that, in that kind of different Brian, in that kind of situation um, where we're being kind of pushed like that, um, what happens on the ground is going to be what we've seen happen here. So our congregations in our church body in the area are widely different from each other in what we're doing. Um, most of them are more open than the society around us. Some of them are more closed than the society around us. A lot of this is going to be what with your question though, Brian. So what's an essential service? 
I guess the question there is, you know, who's asking and why? I mean, obviously, Governor Pritzker of Illinois doesn't think that my Lutheran Church, Missouri, Synod's Word and Sacrament is an essential service to history, industry, or any other part of economy run by South Chicago through the Delaware uh, uh, Mafia. Whatever. You want to call them Hunter's Computer, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, those things are more essential to the elite world um, who then somehow have forgotten. They don't have preachers up there anymore. Brian, you know this, right? Luther used to preach to the princes. Nobody's preaching to them about how what they're doing to the bottom is like bad right now. Bad. Going to destroy everything. Bad. Stop it. They're not even hearing that. They're just running in their own echo chamber around. And so they don't believe that God is essential. But now, then again, you know, is this a surprise? We've been hearing this kind of talk for a long time. And, and Christians like we, we gripe in our own echo chamber. Oh, we live in a society where they don't teach God in the schools anymore. This is bad. We got to stop it. We got to get it back in the schools. And we've been in this like fight to save Christendom. I'm not kidding. It's like a, it's a fight to save the institution, which is the idol, which is crashing. You, and so, you know, you got to get away from that and recognize then to really go at your question, Brian, that church is the only essential service. Gathering to receive the word and sacraments of Jesus Christ is the only essential service. There is no other essential service in the world. And to be baptized into Jesus, to know that he's coming again, to be reminded of this, to, to remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy, right? That's an essential service so far as God is concerned. Uh, so that we would put things like what? Um, Emergency room care above that only shows you who our God is. So that's what I think, Brian. I think that anybody's going to give a list of essential services based upon who and what they worship. So I'll tell you what I worship. I worship my belly. So I want the food to be an essential service. I would like the meat to be an essential service. That is definitely my idol. I like electricity to stay on. I want the water to keep running. All those things matter. Essential services. I definitely, without Jesus Christ... Worship my fear of those things. But thanks be to God. I consider the Psalms of Solomon, the Sons of Solomon Psalms, an essential service in my life. I consider the going to church as a pastor an essential service in my life. And so for that reason, everything else could go away. The food, the water, the electricity, I would still do those things. (laughs) It's an essential service. And so I think all Christians should be able to say that about their going to church so that regardless of what any government would ever say ever, if they want to go, they go. And if they all die because they went and they got sick and they died, that's what Christianity is okay with. We've always been okay with this. That we're not okay with this right now is why it's idolatry and why it's going to crash. Repent. Doesn't have to be. Assyria repented. Oh, Nineveh. That's who the city is. I didn't tell you that earlier. Nineveh repents. Repent. We don't have to crash, but stop trusting in the, in the red, white, and blue. Just stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Go to church. <laughs> Oh, goodness. I mean, pray for the white, right, and blue. Pray for it. Now, die for it if you have to, but don't don't trust it. Don't trust it. Jedinot Anakin Cringewalker says this, I think we need to take, talk to our fellow citizens on why we have more free speech on CCP-owned TikTok than U.S.-owned Twitter. <laughs> they flipped that around real fast, didn't they? They got us all to get rid of TikTok. And then Twitter like shuts us down so we can't. Uh, that's fascinating. A big thing for them. Uh, Cringewalker's always got the inside lock on the most crazy ideas from wherever... I don't know how you do it, man, um, but I'm thankful that you're there. I really am because even when I don't know what you're talking about or when I disagree, the fact that someone else is thinking about these things as randomly as I am and coming to some similar com- conclusions is very affirming to me. It's very affirming. So, yeah, you're right. The the lockdown on the freedom of speech, although it's not on everything. I'm still here. Hello. Look at me. Now, here's the thing. Will I be targeted? I, re- I had this thought this morning. Do I wear this shirt? Here I am, some guy. Middle of nowhere, small podcasts, small events, and you know we are small time people. I got no digital footprint. 
really, really tiny. Okay. But I do have this shirt on and right now they're talking about domestic terrorism. Right. So, and look at me, look at me, I got a beard and I'm talking about Jesus and patriarchy. Oh, I can make faces and things and I can be mean. So like I had the thought, like, will I be randomly targeted just because they're sweeping through with the algorithm and I kind of look like and fit the model of what they want to say is the danger right now. Right. Uh, so I mean, I don't know. Um, free speech is a mythology. It is a story that we tell ourselves. YouTube, I'm here with you guys on YouTube till it goes down. Here's what I can tell you this. I, I used to think, okay, I'm going to try to stay on as long as possible. I'm going to play by the rules and this and that so I can always be able to, to foster this. Done with that. Done with that. I don't care. I, I'm trying to turn the money off. I think it got turned off for the days. I'm trying to turn the money off of every new video that goes out. I don't even care about the money. I don't want the money. I want them tied to me at all. It's just, I have to go back and undo a bunch of that, which is going to be a pain. But you know, super chats are great because I can see you over there and I can drop it in. But the money, I want, to, I want to be so far away from any reliance on Google for any financial capacity whatsoever. Um, I just want it all to go away. Um, and instead then, hmm, focus on believing that this platform is as free as it is until it's not, which is then I'm going to say what I say. So yeah. Be aware that right now Twitter is not a free speech platform. Be aware that Facebook is not a free speech platform. Be aware that YouTube and Google are not free speech platforms. Be aware that the U.S. Congress is not a free speech platform. They just censured effectively this one lady. I don't even know. Conspiracy theory? Maybe it was. How would I know since conspiracy theories are a conspiracy theory? Censure this lady from Congress. She's not on any of her boards and committees anymore that she was on. Okay. So, like, like it's not a free speech anything except for wherever you think you're free to speak, which will be wherever you talk. And then they don't stop you. Yeah. So uh, think about how and where you talk. Think about maintaining your freedom to talk there. Think about how masks remove that. Think about how um, recovering a desire to speak is probably one of the most important masculine things that can happen today for the men out there. That you would not be afraid to speak, but you would desire to speak. You would believe that you're here because your job is to speak. That's why you have sons and daughters. Yeah. So, yeah, does that help? I don't know. I don't know. It's all madness whenever Jedi Cringe Rocker gets involved, so I can't be held to blame for our discussions. Uh, Arsant Angel Fire says this one. He says, how do you respond to the argument that regeneration and baptism is the same as regeneration and easy believism? Excuse me. R.E. Us making the choice in time. The last, the RE didn't help me. I had you until the RE. Buzz, buzz. Um, so I'm just going to easy believism. I'm, I'm assuming here that you mean like cheap grace, right? So how would I respond to the argument that baptismal regeneration is cheap grace? I'd say that if you don't have free grace, you don't have grace. So, okay. Like game over. You go talk to yourself about being a legalist. I'm not going to argue with you. I know it's like, it's like the wrong apologetic, right? But it's, it's the only answer. Like, they have made a false distinction. They have made a distinction without a distinction. You're saying that salvation is salvation. Hmm. Yeah, I'm afraid I am. I'm afraid I am. So, so yes, faith is God's work in you that you didn't do. And in that regard, because it's not your work, it's easy, right? Like, it's... It's too hard for you to do it yourself. You can't do it on your own. It's hard. But see, easy is wrong. It's not easy. It's impossible. And yet you believe. 
because it is. It's free gift. And it just spouted out of you. And it happens because God washes you. And if you don't believe he did it with water, you still believe he washes you. So why won't you believe the water? You're just being stubborn. Ugh. So there you go, Archon. I mean, <laughs> please don't share that with your Baptist friends. It will not make them happy. Um, what, what really is most helpful is the argument I made earlier, which is to recognize that you can say what you want about baptism not doing stuff. You're still baptizing people. You can say what you want about the Lord's Supper not doing stuff. You're still giving it to people. And if you're not, your church is dying. So, you know, how about you repent and go back to what the text says rather than all these ideas about how you're going to change the world and fix the church and do mission, blah, blah, while it collapses around us. One of the most stunning stories, I don't even have the guy's name memorized yet. He's the son of Rehoboam. He only reigns for three years. He ends up in a war with Jeroboam in the north. And he dies, and his son, Asa, I think it's Asa's after him, comes, becomes king. Asa's awesome. But this guy is not awesome. He does all the bad stuff that Rehoboam did, high places, cult prostitution, homosexual prostitution, all this kind of stuff. But he goes to this war against Jeroboam in the north. Jeroboam's got, like, all of Israel, right? So it's like Judah against all of Israel. And he goes with the priests from the temple. And he goes in the name of Yahweh. He doesn't believe in Yahweh. He doesn't worship Yahweh. He just goes and fights in the name of Yahweh. And he crushes Jeroboam. Just ah, takes cities, takes Bethel. Ah. This guy's faithless. This guy doesn't believe anything. He just goes in the name of Jesus. There's something there, friends. There's something there. Um, he's bigger than us. His name is more important than us. Faith is when you see that he's used you to glorify his name. Usually by making you suffer, <laughs> and yet glorify his name anyway for seeing how it was what you needed in order to repent. And then again, yeah, be washed. right? And then live as one who knows you're washed in the suffering of the cross of Jesus Christ. Ah, uh, that's about what I got. That's about what I got. What you see is who you will become. How you doing? Your heroes foreshadow not only your dreams, but also your expected monsters. Tomorrow's a myth until it gets here. Clarity is today. Uh, that'd be the wrong one. Almost there. Let's give you a little bit of my book, Talk Them Into It, before we go out today. You know, I didn't talk about Talk Them Into It for like two weeks, and the sales dropped off from like seven a week to like four a week. It's not quite that bad. But it's, um, I do think this book is of high value. I do still intend to return to it for an update at some point. However, recently I, like, I told you guys I'm not going to write again, and now I have like three books going now. Uh, they're already here, and they're kind of fun, and I don't know when the release date of them is. Um, but in the meantime, I do think what this book is, whatever else becomes of it in the future... It's got wings. It's got wings. Get into this. So, you know, without clear terminology, we have nothing to say. You want to talk to people about Jesus. You want to talk to people about your faith. You want to tell people what you believe and then walk away confident. And if they're mad, whatever. And if they convert, that's even better, right? So, well, then you got to know you got to have clear terminology. Without clear terminology, we have nothing to say. Too many words is a problem. And not knowing we have the same words is a problem. Any conversation you have with anyone needs to be in a language that they understand. 
Not that you understand, that they understand. If you are a Christian, that means you should be most interested in learning the language of your opponent. So the first thing you want to do if you're going to try to convert somebody to Christianity is figure out what they're talking about. They talk in a Babylonian language, a babble made up of English and a bunch of other nonsense from TV. And you have to figure out what it is they think they're saying when they say things like faith, grace, baptism. They mean different stuff. We're acting like these these sounds have power apart from the ethnicity and heritage in which they were formed. They're like magic spells. You're just going to make them go away without at least a lot of effort. And retract and understand and, and really deconstruct the meaning and then reconstruct the meaning. Now, they've been deconstructing the meaning of our archetypes for, for generation now with pictures. Okay. So that means everyone's got a different one. Some kids think it's amazing. I mean, you got little boys that want to be witches. Okay. Now, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. I don't want to go. Look, I got Harry Potter right here. Okay. So don't get, don't get mad at me about Harry Potter. But look, when I was a boy, if I said I want to be a witch, everyone would be like, what are you, a girl? So, you know, they've been destroying the archetypes for a while now, trying to get us to forget about fatherhood. I've told you about this other places. So you got to learn what they're really meaning when they say their words, if you're going to ever have a conversation about them. And then you have to speak the gift of tongues. That is, you have to know how to take your information in your head about Jesus and say it in their words, their language, translation. Yeah. If you're a Christian, be interested in the language of your opponent, even if they speak the same language. They don't. They don't. You've got to learn what they mean. By this, I do not necessarily mean Swahili or French. I just did all this, right? Rather, I mean the more subtle nuances of your mother language, wherein disagreement often hides behind the complex meaning of words. If when you both say apple, one means apple and one means orange, until you figure that out, you will not get much further. Yeah? Ah, see me? Okay. So, looking at it this way, everyone is living in their own heads, walking around all day like floating personal universes. Not a two of them ever more than a touch overlapping in experience. Nobody feels it the same way you do, and that is because God is awesome. Each of our lives was tailor-crafted by him to be so, unique in all the glory of an artist at work. It is Babel that gums it all into confusion. But the Christian is God's secret weapon. The Christian is the undiscovered country come early, come incarnate, and come unashamed. The Christian is already dead. And as any grave digger can tell you, if the dead are anything besides a festering stench waiting to happen... Is that they're great listeners? Oh yes. Oh, that's that's poetry right there. I like that. That's a good ending. Who wrote that? That was that's decent stuff. So, but the idea here again is that everyone's living in their own head. They're living in their own story, and their overlapping is overlapping less and less. This is why you need to go to church. So I need to read the Sons of Solomon Psalms and the Proverbs, and then get into Galatians, Romans, and Matthew or something. Like pick something that's the gospel, right? Um, but you got to get overlapping experience with other Christians. You have to have it happen. Um, otherwise, your words will cease to match and you will redefine them to mean different things. When you come together, you'll think you mean the same thing, but you don't. And then you'll be confused by arguments that happen over things that didn't seem like they should have been arguments. It's all babble. It's all babble. So your task, always Christian, uh, is, to, uh, is to seek to be the translator in the midst of the babble, to be the listener, to be a listener. And more on that in uh, the book, Talk Them Into It. Wherever it is. Not on the wall behind me. It is 1101. And on this day that I'll call Saturn Day, which is strange because that's not the moon or the sun. And it's really not connected to Odin either. It's all very odd. But on this Saturday, I I pray that you have a good day of rest. You find a way to spend some time with your family. Um, If you're going to go to church today or tomorrow, God's blessings on your discipleship on disciplining yourself to believe that what you see is who you will become. So, sir, we would see Jesus and that'll keep you standing 
upon the ruins of the world and not wallowing in the muck with those who have no hope. This is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. I'm your... What am I? Hireling? <laughs> Stooge? Sheepdog? Um, friend? Uh, I don't even know. YouTube dude. That's, I had a good ending coming. I am resurrected. My name's Jonathan. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>